0: Obviously on bad radio.
1: Wish I held on to a little piece of that thing, because the buzz is any indicator. That movie's gonna make some huge bank. What buzz? The internet buzz. What the f is the internet? The internet is a communications tool used the world over where people can come together to bitch about movies and share pornography with one another. Here's what we're looking for. At moviepoopshoot.com. Poop shoot. Yeah. This is a site populated by militant movie buffs. Sad, pathetic little bastards living in their parents' basement, downloading scripts and what they think is inside information about movies and actors they claim to despise yet can't stop discussing. Okay, this is about Blunt Man and Chronic right here. Inside sources tell me Miramax is starting production this Friday on their adaptation of underground comic fave Blunt Man and Chronic.
0: Friday. Does it say he fucking playing us in the movie? No, but it's Miramax, so I'm sure it'll be Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. You know, they put them in a bunch of movies.
1: Who? You know, those kids from uh, Good Will Hunting. You mean that fucking movie with Mort from Ork in it?
2: Yeah, I wasn't a big fan either. But Affleck was the
1: bomb in Phantoms. Word, bitch. Phantoms like a mall, f-er. What's up now?
3: Are you still
2: in Group's house? you staying with a friend.
4: Yeah, I stay with a friend. Uh, no, I'm back in my house now. You're so back in Group's yeah. house with the race car. Yeah, bag. yeah. Oh, Group. Yeah, where he at? Uh, Group's. <laughs> hey Dirk. Hey buddy. <laughs> how you doing, man? Good. How are you? Awesome. How's the fam? They're good. Good. So that's resetting that story again. <laughs> no, no. Oh, you bought. Which one? <laughs> no, not the uh. uh <laughs> not the house story again. We talked <laughs> about it last two years straight. <laughs> Well, oh, why? Do you want to talk about the
2: whole controversy again? Do <laughs> you want to get into the other story? Yeah, pick, yeah, one. Pick, pick one, man. Pick a controversy <laughs> on the
4: house? Let's talk about the house.
2: Dirk, Dirk possible baby.
4: Groups. How or... did it go down, groups? Let me hear it again. Did I knock on the door? Yeah, thank uh, you. Said, uh, knocked on my can door. Can I buy this house? Yeah. I got, all like, right.
2: the, all this money, so give Here, me a I'm making all this
4: money, that's what I said? Yeah.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's exactly a, how it Wasn't out. he spending a basketball yeah. when he
4: knocked at yeah, the door? Yeah, but I think he had a gun also. I have my jersey on.
1: Yeah. Full oh, <laughs> <absolutely>. uniform. You <laughs>
2: were wearing sweatpants, though.
1: And a absolutely. suitcase full of money. They still money. have a
2: price tag on him. I
3: love it. And that's <laughs> great. I absolutely love it. Um, what is my perfect
5: crime? I break into Tiffany's in Midnight. Do I go for the vault? No. I go for the chandelier. It's priceless. As I'm taking it down, a woman catches me. She tells me to stop. It's her father's business. She's Tiffany. I say no. We make love all night. In the morning, the cops come, and I escape in one of their uniforms. I tell her to meet me in Mexico, but I go to Canada. I don't trust her. Besides, I like the cold. Thirty years later, I get a postcard. I have a son, and he's the chief of police. This is where the story gets interesting. I tell Tiffany to meet me in Paris by the Trocadero. She's been waiting for me all these years. She's never taken another lover. I don't care. I don't show up. I go to Berlin.
2: That's where I stash the chandelier. All right. You say there's a level of sensitivity in baseball fans. Now, let me ask you if it's higher, lower, or just regular, the sensitivity of Boston baseball fans when it comes to underrating some of their grittiness. Like so you, I think Boston blew up. Are well you, are you are you, are you p- Figuratively it was the first Boston blow up um Evan Grant many years ago. You remember the internet went nuts.
3: So what do we do with this? <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if do acknowledge Please, it? Uh just do we continue? Ask for... I don't know.
2: Just bask in the glow that is. So I asked for Move a shot. Do we need a drink? Or how about a BLT? Or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh the point is that So are you particularly this is this happens a lot. It's a it's,
3: Boston writer that left LeBron. Like that did not give LeBron the one vote.
2: Don't do it. <laughs> That guy in a little coat, that guy in a little coat. Don't. <laughs> that guy in a little coat, that guy in a little coat. Take it off. I'm serious. Richard,
6: what's happening?
2: oh. oh.
1: Hey, it's Sean Chumlin, the voice of Goku from Dragon Ball Z. I never listen to Bob and Dan on The Ticket, and I also don't watch sports. But tune in for some other stuff that has to do with sports. And maybe as sports fans, you'll like it. If you laugh
3: at AIDS, it goes away.
1: Right about now, Sports Radio 96.7 FM, The Ticket presents The Bad Radio Weekly Wrap-Up Podcast. This week, it's Dirk Day. We have an audio bag of fun. And Quincy on the hard line. Also, hashtag he's on my note, Julie Dabbs, Engineer Blake, R.I.P. Bob, and R.I.P. Donnie Dew. And now two guys that call themselves the Chancellor of their own homes, it's Jake Kemp and Dan McDowell. Oh!
6: Shut it down! Let's go home! So
3: grown, so huge, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> out of control here, Bills. Isn't football great? Man, I love football so much. You
5: want the ultimate, you gotta be willing to pay the ultimate price. Is this
6: it? Is this it? Get up!
1: No
7: idea what to do right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Greetings and salutations, P1s, and welcome again to another episode of the Bad Radio Weekly wrap Up Podcast covering the week of April 11th. On this week's podcast, it is Dirk Day, Dirk Davitsky Talks with Jake and Dan. We also have the Mavs and Thunder series on our relook or re listen or re watch back to the Mavericks playoff run in 2011 we also have some DAC talk bad radio talks with Graham Bessinger we have some March madness talk an audio bag of fun and ticket Tuesday Quincy on the hard line we start things off with Dirk and joining us now on the buyers
8: barricade ticket hotline it is the goat the legend one year to the day after his final game in a Mavericks uniform it's Dirk Nowitzki Dirk how are you sir
4: How's it going, guys? Thanks
8: for having me. The pleasure all on this side of the table. So, Bob moved on to Greener Pastures. I heard
4: about that, huh? He big
8: timed you guys. He did big time as he moves to three to seven, and they promoted me from guy who comes and lets Dirk and Sarah in at back elevator to guy who gets to talk with Dirk. So. <laughs> wow,
4: I see you coming up. I see you coming up.
8: <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Thanks he's, for doing this.
2: He's, uh, he's our Luca.
8: No, no, no,
4: no. no. For sure. No, no, no. First-round draft pick, huh?
8: I don't need that on me. So uh, first off, the obligatory, uh, how are you and the family holding up during this time, all of that. And I guess related, do you think the fact that you've been retired for a year and having to deal with kids every day might make this somewhat easier than if it hit you right in the middle of a season?
4: yeah i think uh this is uh this is a tough time uh this is a tough time for everybody whether you're an athlete or not or a retired athlete or whatever the case may be um you know you're you're thinking constantly of of your loved ones um my family friends uh, you check on them constantly and uh you know worried for For the community, for for your neighbors, um, you know, whether they lose their job or or loved ones. And um, so, you know, my thoughts are constantly with with others in in this difficult time. And so hopefully, you know, we can just get through this and, um, you know, keep listening to the orders and hopefully uh, put an end, uh, put this behind us pretty soon and uh and and move forward but uh yeah like i said this is, this is something that you know we haven't seen in, in in my lifetime that's for sure and it's been uh it's been tough but you know you you gotta see how I'm somehow the positive side and you know i'm uh, enjoying spending time with the kids and with the family and uh and, and checking speaking with my parents almost daily and uh, just making sure um, everybody's okay in this uh in this difficult time
2: what are the kids' ages?
4: So the uh, the oldest one is uh, is turning seven this summer. The middle one is five, and the little one is like three and a half. So it's it's busy around here. Um, but like I said, they're they're doing some homeschooling in the morning, which is a beast, uh, as uh, as everybody who has kids knows. Uh, this is, this is it sounds a lot easier than it is. Um, but they already got a lot a lot of stuff going and um, but then, then it's fun the rest of the day obviously just you know playing and you talk to them a little bit and they understand the situation and you know there's a virus out there and uh, you know you can't be hugging and we can't see friends we can't go to school right now and uh, just make sure they they kind of understand what's going on and so yeah it's been uh, it's been a tough situation for everybody
2: what kind of uh, wonderland uh, have you built up as far as your house and stuff? Do you have, like, the basketball court inside like some players
1: have?
4: <laughs> I don't. Uh, we have a, a nice garden, obviously, so we're, we're, we're fortunate there that they can – of course, go out and run around when the weather's nice. So we're, of course, we're, we're in a fortunate uh, situation there. And, um, yeah, I mean, they're just trying to, you know, keep them busy, uh, keep them learning stuff in the morning and then, you know, entertain them, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, read a book and the Easter egg hunt coming up this weekend and, you know, just, just uh, trying to get through this this time with uh, with them still having having, having fun and uh, and interacting obviously and learning
2: i guess hypothetically just looking at your own life and we all do you know clearly we'll lay it out and just say okay other people have uh, much worse than we do for sure mm-hmm. but it's kind of cool if this had to happen ever it didn't happen during your final season, like that, that would have erased, or, or, you know, I, I, I wonder if your mind has gone to would I have come back for another year if it had been abru- abruptly ended like this?
4: Um, yeah of course I was always I fortunate there um, tough to put me in that position I probably would have not uh, going through another season just because I didn't get the ending that I was hoping for um, watching I was watching Vince's press comments there uh, I think that they finished their game in Atlanta and then they, they already knew that um, the, uh, the season was suspended and, and he kind of said in his press comments hey, look if, if this was it and this is it, uh, not the ending that I wanted and w- would have hoped for. And But, you know, I've had a heck of a ride, and, of course, that, that felt, felt bad for him. I think uh, what he's been doing for now in his 22nd season is, is amazing, and I'm sure he... Last couple of weeks and months, he would have deserved or and gotten a, a couple more standing ovations, maybe even a going away thing too. So uh, I felt I felt bad for him. Look, uh, listening to that uh, press conference, and but you know, hopefully, well, we don't know. It's things change from day to day, from week to week, and hopefully there maybe there is even an end to the season. But it's just uh, it's just too early to tell. But for for his for his sake, I wish there was there was an end to. Uh, where where he can be celebrated as well,
8: Dirk? You went with a lot of different looks over the years, and that's been somewhat of a topic of conversation as it relates to the statue and what exactly mm. the look will be. And you know, the, the one leg came later, so maybe it'll kind of go with that. Here, I say all that to say, have you seen Luca's quarantine beard?
4: I just saw it on uh, on, on his Insta story yesterday. Um, it's it's interesting. I think some of the guys are are letting it go uh during during this time at home um some of the 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 team the teammates had a a little chat the other day and i was watching it so uh yeah some of the guys are just you know not shaving um i did the opposite i had a little beard going and then i completely shaved it off i looked like uh, a younger version of myself uh so that was i did i did the exact opposite to
8: me, Luca's beard looks like the first time you ever grow a beard in your life.
4: <laughs> it's, it's a little patchy. It's a little patchy. Yeah, I mean, the kid is the kid is 21. I don't think I was able to the really grow a beard. All I had going there for a while was the, that little goatee thing. Not the goatee, the, just on the bottom. What, what do you call that in English? Uh, uh, the look that I had for a long time was just because that's the the only space where, where in the face where, where the hair was growing. So I had that little... The hair down on my chin—that's really all I had going, because the rest uh, was was too spotty to let like, grow out.
8: So we've been uh, rewatching the entire—I have every game of the 2011 uh, run in the uh, playoffs—and I want to talk to you about that a little bit. But I would be remiss if I didn't try to get to the bottom of what happened to your minivan.
4: <laughs> Great question. So I was—I uh, was—I was getting uh, picking the kids up. They were, went for a walk, and then uh, I drove by somewhere and uh i drove into this little road there that's um it's actually it was here it was around our house but it was a, a dirt road and i thought i'd just make it through and sure enough it rained a lot that the couple days beforehand and i was like oh i'll be fine i'll make it through and <laughs> sure enough i got stuck with my minivan um for with the kids in the car wifey and they're all like what is going on so i was like Okay, you guys go home. It wasn't far from home, so they walked home and I was sitting there and I was like, Okay, what am I doing here um So I remember it, um darren williams had a had a, had a big truck d will and you know I knew he'd live around the the neighborhood and and so I just gave him, uh, gave him a text. I was like, "Hey, bud, I know it's this is super random, but are you are you at home by chance uh, with your truck?" And he's like, "Yeah, what's going on?" And he couldn't believe it. I mean, when he drove up and he saw me there in the little dirt road, I mean, he was dying laughing. Uh, so he uh he took us a little bit like ten fifteen minutes and uh, he got me out um so that was um, that was my highlight and of course he he filmed it a little bit as I said he got me out and uh he put it on his social media and it 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 obviously blew up because at the time the the league was already canceled, so it was really the only thing that, was, I guess, mattered at the time. And so it, it kind of went, uh, went viral, and uh, it, was, uh, it was funny, though. I got a lot of comments on, on the minivan, I got to say. Dirk, you drive a minivan? Yeah, so with when we're oh, no. when I'm when I'm moving with the kids, when we bring them to school and stuff like that, and uh, then we got a little minivan, um, and so yeah, so how many comments I got? Of course, Dirk drives a minivan. <laughs> it just, it's just it totally it's all coming together. Dirk's driving a minivan. So what's
2: what's your cool car? You got to have a cool car uh
4: yeah yeah i have a tesla uh, that i all love right. actually the x um i like that i got a range rover that, that i love so uh, those are really my boy cars but when when i'm obviously driving with the kids and going to school and stuff then um then we're going in the minivan
2: is the tesla self-driving
4: yeah i think all of these got the feature now which i don't really trust in or believe in 100 percent so I, I always keep my keep my eye on the road for sure
2: that's awesome man
4: <laughs> yeah
2: uh dirk is with us uh and you live in dallas right obviously you called uh, uh, darren williams uh he, d- he does not live in germany so no
4: no no i'm, I'm here i'm here yeah, yeah we're <laughs> I was traveling a lot this year, which which obviously I wanted, and traveled with the kids. But you know, uh, we've been home since end uh, of February. We came back from travels, and so since then uh, it's been here.
2: Some guys with uh, giant money too might have drivers or things like that, or maybe even nannies around the house. Do you have any help with all of this, or is it just uh, you and the
4: lady? <laughs> Yeah, a little bit, uh, but we're trying to obviously um, stick to the rules and, and do everything ourselves as much as we can. Um, and like I said, it's been it's been a challenge, but also also fun. As we as we all know, we all we all have so much stuff going on in our lives, and we tra- I traveled so much, even for for the FIBA position I took and in, uh, in, in the National Basketball Board. And so I was traveling so much this year. So this time is just I'm just using it to to be with the kids and, uh, and and enjoy and and make really the best out of out of out of a tough situation.
2: So uh, as a newly retired guy, I remember in the past you saying that you grew up. You know, we'd ask you what sports you loved, and you liked skiing and all that, but. You were not able to do that under contract in the NBA. Have you gone out and hit the slopes, or you know, what have we, you done that you we, weren't
4: allowed to do? We did go skiing. We uh, we were traveling this year uh, over Christmas, so we were uh, gone, and my family came up, and we went uh, skiing in Sweden over over Christmas and New Year's, and um, had a blast. I mean, I. That I can't even, I shouldn't even tell this, but my second day, I was like, oh, I got this. Let me go down this little blue slope that's ended up being a little red on the bottom. Sure enough, there was a little icy patch and I got turned around, fell on my shoulder, sublexed my shoulder for like a quick hot second before it popped back in. I was like, I shouldn't be doing this seven feet tall on, on skis weighing, I don't know, 270 pounds. It's just a lot of force going down there. So, um, so then I, I took like two or three days off. I was like, ah, I shouldn't be doing that. So I just stuck with my parents uh, for, for a while. But uh, the kids were doing great, and they enjoyed it. And I'm sure uh, one day I will do it again. But I've, uh, I had enough for, for one time for now.
2: Oh, wow. Uh, and following up on that, you said, here I am, 270 pounds. I thought I read something that you said you were pushing 300
4: is that I, true? No, I've, I, I've gotten a little better. I've gotten a little better. Uh, once once the initial hit of the summer was over with, with the travels and with the eating and trying different foods in different countries, I think I, I settled, settled back in a little bit, Settled have a little routine again, try to work out every other day again. So uh, the, uh, the initial hit of, you know, trying every fast food there is and <laughs> ice cream every night is, uh, is kind of faded. And, you know, I'm... Kind of uh, arrived in uh, in uh, in retired life, and it's been like I said, it's been it's been fun. It's been on the go. It's been a lot of a lot of family time, and just uh, just how I really imagined it. But honestly, really busy. I mean, I always thought that once I retire, I'm gonna be home and spend time with the kids all day. But there's been so much happening and traveling around the world and um, getting awards uh, everywhere. Which I've, I I've went to the states to visit with the German president. I mean, there's been some really really Cool stuff happening that that I would have never thought would ever be possible. So it's been it's been a, a action packed uh, packed year, and I, I really enjoyed it.
2: Is is Holger good with the kids? Like, is he Uncle Holger?
4: <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Holger, he actually came. You know, he's uh, he's obviously not doing too well now that there's n- there's nothing for him to do anymore here with uh, with basketball. So we he wasn't having a, a good time. So we we got him out here. He came over in like February. And uh, he just hung out. Uh, He just hung out. Play with the kids. He tried to teach my middle son uh, to play chess, and I'm like, Holger, he's five. He's like, oh no, no, a, <laughs> he can do it. He can do it. Uh, you know, he's, he's we used to call Holger is the nutty professor. So he's, uh, he's he's teaching him, and um, and he was he was doing good. But then after a few lessons, he's kind of like, All right, I'm over this. Where's the ball? Where's where's where? What, can, what else can I chase? So he kind of lost interest after a few lessons.
8: Dirk joining us here on the ticket. My one basketball question is, you know, it's been 10 years, almost 10 years. So it's like most Mavs fans have five or six things that they remember very vividly in their mind about the title run. But in reliving game by game, it's just such an emotional roller coaster. And we all remember the blown lead in game four against Portland. But I guess I didn't remember just how dominant you guys were late in games, on the road, I think in my mind now, game four in Portland and that blown lead is a huge, huge turning point. Was that so, anything that was said amongst the guys in the room? Was it understood or did you guys view that as a, as a huge just paradigm shift?
4: No, you know uh, the big, big change was for for Game Five at home, and and you know they they credited me with it, but I'm not even sure if I did that much. But all I base, I don't, you know, me, I don't say much in meetings and stuff. I'm kind of a quiet guy. If I say something, I address something. But before that Game Five against at home here, uh, I just I just said to the guys, we're we're not losing. We're they they can't beat us on our home court. And we're going to go up to Portland being up 3-2. And I was, I was really confident about that. I didn't think Brandon Roy could do that again. What he pulled off there in Game 4 to, to tie the series, which was, I don't know, he scored like 20 in the fourth quarter or something. He was amazing. But I didn't think he had that in him and to do it again. And so I was, I was pretty, pretty confident that we're going to win that Game 5 and, and somehow win the series. So... And then it was just we started to roll. I don't know. We got got a little fortune, of course, there in the Lakers game one, which they really dominated, and Kobe was on fire. And I think we kind of stole that one. And then I think from there we kind of rolled. I think that that gave us a huge confidence boost uh, throughout the playoffs. And. And the other day, uh, I haven't watched any of the, the the 2011 run that much. I watched the end, uh, the um, the f- f- game six of the Miami series was on NBA TV the other day, and I watched uh, some of the fourth quarter. And I gotta say, we were really good defensively. Obviously, everybody says we had a good group, and um, but we with with Tyson out there, with with Matrix out there, and with with Jay Kidd. Uh, they, those guys are moving, man. They were plugging holes, and and me and Jet were kind of in the way, just <laughs> trying to trying to help out where we can. But those three guys, I mean, they were they were they were crazy on on defense and moving and stopping and rotating for us. And um, I mean, that's that's how we really won uh, in in the playoffs. Was uh, being really really good defensively down the stretch and offensively, you know. Made some uh, make some big uh, big baskets when when we need it, but I got to say I think we were an underrated defensive team that year with with our with the defenders we had with Deshaun and and, uh, and some other guys that, that had some length and Hay- Haywood was a good shot blocker obviously, and so we were we were I think under underrated defensively.
2: So so Jake's been finding old audio too of like what TNT was saying, you know, first round, second round, as 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 it goes, and it's funny because early on um everybody was picking portland almost everybody mm-hmm. and they were pointing to the fact that uh you were the guys that always uh you couldn't win on the road in the playoffs you were you're you're mentally soft you were soft physically you know that was just the mo and uh you know and it was kind of like uh, assumed almost well dirk he's that great player but he'll never win the big one and all that kind of stuff how aware were you of that being the Mavs' image, and was that something that you know like drove you?
4: Yeah, I mean, we heard that, of course, every year after the playoffs, you know. And I try to, of course, stay away from that talk, but you, you obviously hear the rumblings, not only from the, some from the local media, of course, a lot from the from the national media and. You know it's just you know they can't come through o six obviously didn't help we were up to 0 I think that that only manifested some of those opinions uh in in the in, in the in the national media it, but you know what, as a, as a guy, you just, um, you try to blend it out. You try to use it as, as motivation. Um, and as we, as you know, I've, I've always worked extremely hard to, uh, to get better. And, and I use that as fuel uh, every summer to, well, okay, what else can I do? Can I, can I be the, how can I be a better all around player to help the team improve? And, um, uh, and, you know, then we've, we've had a great mix that year. You know, who who knew that Tyson basically missed almost two years uh, before our our run in Charlotte, I think, believe it was, with his toe. And, I mean, that that guy worked out like that for us or, or Pager getting him in the middle of the season from Toronto on a buyout you know every move that we made that year just uh, ended up being gold for us so it's just you know it was one of those years where everything just was was perfect for us and the the, the chemistry in the team was great but um you know we had some good teams before but we just could never really get over over that hump unfortunately
2: so so getting that title obviously changed the national narrative towards the mavs overall and and you um as, as your career uh, wrapped up how important do you think it was now in retrospect for your own mental uh, sanity, well-being, that, that you were able to climb that mountain?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I always said the only the only reason for me to ever leave the Mavs would have been if, if we didn't win the championship. And, you know, I would have had to chase a, a ring down at the end of my career, which obviously is not ideal and not something that I would have ever wanted to do. Um, so, you know, who knows my career might've played out a lot, a lot different. Um, and I'm glad we obviously didn't never had to find out this, uh, the way it worked out was, was perfect. It was almost like, uh, I drew it up. Um, you know, wanted to win it here, wanted to stay here, wanted to stay, finish my career here. So it was uh, it was perfect, and of course it was yeah it was big for me because uh, you know like I said you you want to prove those doubters wrong you know I've I've heard those rumblings hey Dirk's a good player but he can never bring you over the top and uh, of course you hear those rumblings and you know part of that like I said you use as us fuel and I'm just glad that in, in, that there in 2011 we we had the team around me that, that kind of you know hit my weaknesses perfectly and, and played to my strengths on the other end. So it was just a great mix of guys around me that that I love, that I, I enjoy playing with. And and kind of like I said, they, they hit my weaknesses perfect.
8: Yeah, it was a great mix. And, and again, you hear people say, well, who is the second best player on that team? And do they have a second best player? Because most title teams of this era, of most eras, have two clear-cut one A, one B, or one and two, and on any given night, like I had forgotten that in the closeout game against the Thunder, here comes Sean Marion with 26, mm-hmm. uh, his game, his game high on the season, and it just feels like to me you always kind of positioning yourself as one of the guys and being mm-hmm. a guy who gets busted on just like you'll bust on everyone else. Mm-hmm. I think it seems to me like that made it more likely that any random guy from game to game could step up. Like the fact yeah. that you were just kind of one of everyone else made. Everyone one for all.
4: Yeah, I think uh, I try to be the constant on the offensive end for, for that team. And I think everybody else, you know, we we played a, a, a flow type of offense. Uh, I think even sometimes we didn't really know who's who's going to get the shots. It's kind of, you know, Jake Kidd obviously is one of the best uh, to ever play. And he he knew how to lead us. He knew who's hot. Hey, okay, Jet hasn't shot the ball in a while. He needs to get a shot up. So he'd call a play for him on the run. And, I mean, Jake Kidd is is one of the best at doing that and so it was kind of like whoever you know Pedro was great for us in a few games uh, in the the playoffs the turnaround to the finals was when we started JJ and we needed a little more offense in our starting lineup and brought Deshaun off the bench uh, and he still came in and contributed so uh, yeah we were were just an all around solid team and I think you know, mentioning Cardinal, uh, he didn't play much throughout the whole playoffs, and then he he comes in gives us a huge lift in in the finals. Um, and so it's like, yeah, we we had so many guys that can make plays, and and Sean was constant for us on both ends of the floor, his defense on on the best player uh, on the best wing players every night, and and his float game and his shot making, so. We had, a, we had a good crew, and it, uh, it was fun, uh, and, and it was fun in the locker room, and we, we tried to put our egos to the side and just it, play a team game, and, you know, Coach made it and said from the beginning, if you guys are decent defensively and you get stops, then you can, you can play your flow game and, and, and let Jay Kidd run, uh, run the offense, and, and that worked, uh, worked out great for us.
2: What hypothetical have you thought about more if you guys had kept Nash – or Tyson Chandler
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean i've been around so long, I kind of understand the business of the game, um, you know it's just uh, I think what hurt us really was was the lockout after uh, after winning it all, um, you know it's just that we made some business decision after. The lockout that um, that that hurt us a little bit in, in the long run. Um, with Nashi, I think that was tough. Uh, he, I think Mark felt like his back was was not going to hold up for six plus years or whatever the Phoenix offered him, and um, and so he, he he let him go. Where I thought for sure we should have kept him. But uh, it's just sometimes you make you make business decisions um, that you regret later, and sometimes you make uh, you get lucky with some with some decisions, as we did in, in 2011 with with some of the guys that uh, that I mentioned. So you know, nobody really ever knows what what the right thing to do is, and sometimes you just have to make a decision and stick with it, and and not you know not not guess afterwards or. Uh, Because afterwards we're we're obviously all smarter. So those those were two tough tough decisions we made as a franchise. But we all, with Donnie, of course, we made we also made some great decisions uh, over my twenty twenty one years. I mean, just to be in a position where we can win fifty plus games and over ten years, I think obviously we've we've done more right done wrong unfortunately you know or fortunately we got one championship out of out of those over 10 years um but it was still it was still a heck of a run
2: oh yeah i always wondered how much the Nash thing was a bit of cuban versus don nelson
4: yeah i'm not sure if it had started there or if it started over that, after we let Nashi go, I'm oh, okay. not, I can't really recall that whole time, How, what happened there. I know Nashi called me and said, hey, you know, Phoenix is here, and they put this offer on the table, and uh, if the maps don't come anywhere close, I'm, I'm out of here. And so I was like, oh, pfft. Uh, see what happens, and then, sure enough, uh, the next day he's like, yeah, I committed, I'm gone. Um, so that was a tough time, and I think Nelly wasn't happy about that. And um, you know, we the the point guard spot is is an, an important position in uh, in Nelly's system. You know, with with running a lot of pick and rolls, and um, and so he felt like Nashi was uh, was a great uh, fit for for his style. And so I'm not sure if uh, if the if the break up really started over that or what else what other things happened but you know it is what it is it's uh it's history and of course you know sometimes you let you let it creep in, a what if uh, if if I would have finished my career with Nash and Finn, what would have happened? you know sometimes you think you know nashi the the player he developed uh, into in in phoenix was was unbelievable. I think the athletes he had around him we didn 't have here, so he he looked i mean the two time mvp i mean that that system and the team that he had around him was absolutely perfect. And I think with him leaving and then Mike, of course, helped me grow here, you know, taking taking over the reins and, um, you know, making it my team. And um, that I don't know if that would have happened with, with Steve and Mike being here also. So, you know, I think as to every situation, there's there is pros and cons. And, um, and we'll, we'll never really know what, uh, what would have happened. I got a couple more quickie things. Yeah, no worries.
2: And we do appreciate uh, your time. We do Everywhere. every year for the last, yes. what, 19, 20 years? You've been on with bad radio in some form. Well,
4: no. Uh, sorry about that.
2: <laughs> we <laughs> added it all up. Different. It's going to be it's like a whole
4: day. It's without, without uh, Bob talking soccer and some other stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, I,
8: I
2: have no trash talk to do regarding EPL. Sorry, you're safe. <laughs> yeah, I was, okay. One of the things, and it might you might uh, go with a soccer answer here or something, but... I was wondering the coolest thing that ever happened to you, like that, because of who you you know the basketball and what you've become and you know some people get to meet a president and they think that's really cool or uh, you may think it's cooler to meet a uh, a chancellor. Uh, <laughs> what's what's the coolest thing that all this has brought you? And I and I'm going to follow up with something that I I saw you you say years ago. But go ahead.
4: I mean. <laughs> Tough to pick one, now, of course, I was very fortunate, uh, you know, to, to meet artists, actors, um, you know, presidents here in Germany. Uh, I mean, that's, that's super tough travels. I mean, places I was able to travel with basketball. Uh,
9: let I me mean, you one. kind of
4: put me on the spot there. Me, I'd let, have to, I'd yeah. have to really, really think about that. But I yeah. I mean, my life has been has been, of course, a dream, and of uh, the people I've, I've I was able to meet, it's been has been unbelievable. And the doors, of course, it has opened uh, for me. It's been it's been amazing. You
8: you got right. to meet Damaris.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if that's one of the good things. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, let me give you one though. So this is from an article that was in uh, 2012, Mm -hmm. and you said a cool thing that happened to you recently was Muhammad Ali sent me a package. Mm -hmm. It was a boxing glove with the inscription, you are the greatest. You said at the time, please don't ask me immediately about the political meaning of the gift. I was simply happy I sent Ali a golden basketball with a similar inscription. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't allowed to ask you at the time about the political meaning of that gift, here we are in 2020. <laughs> okay. The political meaning of the uh, the gift? Ali sent you a a, a package?
4: No, yeah, it wasn't really that that political. Um, it was just, you know, the, his caretaker wrote a, a big letter f- with it and said, uh, "We we watched all your finals games, and he wanted you to have this, and um, so it was a letter of authenticity." Um. So no, there was really no political meaning with it or behind it. um I know okay. obviously that Mohammed, um you know went through some stuff here in his in his um boxing days or in his in his career, but um yeah, no, there was really nothing political with it
2: okay well that there was Little false T's you put in there, then. Yeah, I guess I'm not
4: sure. Maybe that was uh, translated uh, from German or something. I'm yeah, not possibly. Sure. I, I yeah. saved.
2: Yeah, I saved this article.
4: Yeah, did uh, you, did, For did, did all you these years, I translate, huh?
2: <laughs> possibly, if you remember, yeah. nobody in the United States knew that you had been engaged. And we found a German article that we uh, they put into a translator, and, and they they had reported that months before. That yeah, you remember we broke that here on the
4: show. I can't remember. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. that's good stuff.
8: Uh, last thing for me, I've heard you say in a couple of interviews, one of them with Damaris, uh, that you've been taking some business classes and some finance <laughs> courses, and just that you that you have a, a business interest. Cuban wrote a business book uh, post career, yeah. yeah, and that you've set in on some business pitches. So. Uh, do you have any sort of feel for, like, what sort of business or industry you might want to be involved in? And two, is this just a long con to be a guest host on or possibly replace Cuban on Shark Tank? Ah.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to leave Shark Tank uh, tomorrow, that's for sure. But, you know, you know how it is as an athlete, um, you where know, we're so busy and traveling, and then I played in the summer for the nationally, national team all the time, so... You know, I didn't, I didn't learn as much, or, or wasn't interested in as much as, as I should have been. And so now, you know, my career is over, and I'm like, oh, it'll be cool to get into some business stuff, and, and listen to some pitches lately. And I'm just sitting there, and you know. They're throwing around language that I've i no idea about. I never went to college, uh, and so it just you know, for me, it's just interesting now to to kind of you know learn uh, to to take some classes and uh, and and you know get some get some tutor sessions and and you know just understand some of that stuff and and the business world and uh, and the finance world and some other stuff. And I mean, I will never be uh, a guy that runs his own business. I mean, i will but, you know, it's just, uh, it's fun. Uh, I like to learn now that I'm obviously uh, have more time. Uh, and once the kids get a little older, you know, I'll, there's other stuff I want. I want to learn a lot of language. I want to learn how to play piano. And so I got all these dreams and goals now for, for after basketball life and, and business and finance is, is definitely in there. And I uh, just want to learn and keep improving as, as we get older. I think that's, that's, that's definitely key.
2: I have a last question, but uh, I'm laughing that so you have all these goals and dreams. The first thing you did when becoming retired is try every fast food. <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: That was my first dream. Now we'll get to piano. <laughs> yeah.
2: But the easy one, the easy one is I just drive through here. And uh,
4: yeah, so you know, I, I try to be good with my diet. I, I changed my diet when I was like twenty six, twenty seven. So I try to be, you know, pretty cold turkey. No, no dessert, no sugar, no drinks, no during the season, no. You know, no red meat, barely any red meat. So it was like, um, you know, I, I just had that dream. Once it's all over, yeah. I want to go crazy. I had these <laughs> cravings. So it's, uh, it was, it was a great summer and then traveling and, you know, and trying, trying all sorts of foods and different cultures. And that was, it was, it was everything I, I always dreamed of.
2: Man, my final question is just totally out of left field. It doesn't relate okay. to anything we've been talking about, uh, but it yeah, is. You're good, you're good at that. So. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> that part hasn't changed. <laughs> what was it like playing with Dennis
4: Rodman? Oh, man, that was, uh, that was fun. Um, I always get to say that uh, I played with Dennis Rodman, and, and a lot of people don't remember that. It was, uh, it was my second season. Cuban had just bought the team and uh we were we were getting better uh, with the quarter we had in place but we were still not quite a playoff team and and Mark's like I wanna I wanna, you know, get this this city excited for the Mavs and I wanna wanna have a big splash so I'm signing Dennis Rodman and we're like, Okay. Interesting decision but let's try it. And sure enough, here came Dennis the Menace, and uh, it was super interesting. I mean, I always remember, like, um, we would sit down and uh, we'd have a meeting before the game, and as soon as Nelly turns the film on, he would get up and take a shower, and we're just kind of like, <laughs> we are watching him walk out of the huddle, or in the locker room, we're like, okay, maybe he just felt like showering. So he didn't really, the last couple things, we usually watch some more film and talk about what we're doing and pick and roll coverage and stuff. He walked out of the huddle, so I'm like, okay, interesting. Second, <laughs> second game comes along, 40 minutes on the clock, Nelly meets, he's about to turn the, the, the video on. <laughs> Dennis gets up the shower. <laughs> So, in the game came, I mean, he kind of was doing his own thing. Sometimes he would like you know hedge a little bit on pick and roll, sometimes he would try something else, sometimes he would switch. I mean, he was kind of like on his own program, and uh it was uh it was interesting uh to say the least. Uh, that was just his routine. i guess when when the team met he he had to shower and then <laughs> and then after the game, he usually you know changed out his, his jersey and lifted for like an hour, hour and a half and put on his cowboy hat and, and, and got on the bus And so he, he never actually showered after the game um, so it was an interesting routine that he had and it was it was fun though, I think we had him for a total of like maybe 10 games uh, but just the way that we were set up and we were a young team and try to grow, it just wasn't it wasn't working uh, for both sides I think and but it was definitely something that stuck with me, and I can always tell uh, that story for the rest of my life.
2: He, like, lived in Cuban's guest house, I think.
4: I think he did for a bit, but then uh, they came, and they got out, and then it was uh, it was a uh, salary cap violation, I believe. Ah. Uh, and then they had to do something else. I'm not sure where he actually stayed after that, but, um, yeah, so uh, that was an interesting time. You know, we just trying to uh you know turn the corner and, and and be uh be a better franchise and better team and um I'll always remember that uh that year at the uh, at old reunion still that was uh, that was the good old days
2: All right dude well we really appreciate the time uh good luck
4: I yeah, appreciate it
2: being a dad yeah. and driving a minivan,
4: keeping it out of the mud. Appreciate said, yeah. "Yeah, and stay." Yeah, it's uh, supposed stay. to
2: rain this weekend, so. Uh, yeah,
4: I know. Stay, uh, stay safe and stay healthy, everybody. And um, I'm thinking of our of, of the whole community. So, take care.
1: All Thanks. right, sir. Thanks, All sir. Right.
4: Thanks, guys. How
2: about that?
1: Bad Radio talks about the Mavs vs. Thunder series and their look back at the Mavs' 2011 playoff run. Who would have thought 2020 would be the year of the return of the Gribble song? <laughs> Alright, 12 at 6
8: here on Bad Radio with Dan and Jake, live from Dragon End. And what we're going to do today is set the table for the Western Conference Finals from 2011 featuring the Mavericks in the upstart, young, vibrant, up-and-coming Oklahoma City Thunder.
2: Is this before the Thunder ever made the finals?
8: Yes. So the Thunder had experienced one of the most dramatic turnarounds. I don't want to say maybe in league history, but it's up there. They won 23 games in 2008-2009 under P.J. Carlissimo, who was fired midway through the season. Scott Brooks took over. Uh, So they go from 23 wins in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, to fifty in oh nine, twenty ten, and fifty five in twenty ten, twenty eleven. Wow! Just ridiculous. Uh, so their first season in Oklahoma City was that oh eight, oh nine year. That was the first year.
2: The twenty some wins.
8: Uh, twenty three, and they immediately get to fifty. And Did then, they have Russ yet? Uh, they Russ.
2: They definitely had KD. KD was
8: in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, The 08-09 team uh, did have Russ, who was 20 at the time. People forget how young he was when he came into the league. Uh, Durant was 20, and Jeff Green was 22. So they were really only bad as Oklahoma City for one year, which is part of the reason, for a number of reasons, I've always hated this team. I hate the franchise. I've never, you know, I don't... When people talk about, like, the Spurs with hatred... I've never really totally been on board with that. I just have such a level of adoration and respect for that group of dudes, and always have. But the Thunder, to me, are just the world's worst because they they stole a team from Seattle. If you've never seen Stealing the Sonics, that documentary that was put out a few years ago, it's very worthwhile. Um, they they lied and said that they were not going to move the team, while all the while documents show that they were, always going to move the team once they bought them. Um, The people that bought them are kind of crooks. One of them is now deceased because as he was about to go to to jail for some white-collar crime, uh, he wrecked his car into a bridge. Remember that?
2: Sounds a bit Kemp spinny to me.
8: Aubrey McClendon was a, a big energy guy, and he was about to go to jail So he committed suicide. That's the thought. It was a single car collision that uh, he was he got into, quote unquote, one day after being indicted by a federal grand jury um, on charges of conspiring to bid uh, to rig bids for the purchase of uh, natural gas in Oklahoma. And he just said, "You know what? I'm probably not built for the inside. I'm just going to wreck this, you know, luxury sedan at 120." and go ahead and just take myself out here at the age of 56. But I've never liked them because they didn't have to suffer at all. They had one bad year, and then all of a sudden they had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and eventually James Harden.
2: I'd say their suffering, though, has been that they haven't spent, they traded away Harden, Yeah. they let people walk. But but those things made me happy. Yeah.
8: (laughs) And it's interesting if you go back and you look at, the, uh, the 2011 series between the Mavericks and the Thunder because in the, I want to say two years before February, oh nine, in February of 2009, the Thunder actually acquired a center from the New Orleans Hornets called, uh, by the name of Tyson Chandler. <laughs> and he, in this article from back then, Tyson said that, you know, whenever he was with Durant and Westbrook, on Team USA that summer, he would always joke with them, like in 'oh eight. Like, damn, think about how good you guys would be if you had me. The two of you and me, like, we'd be unstoppable. Because they did the Thunder did have Surge, uh, but as Game One of this Maverick series showed, Surge was a awful defender at this point. And if they had a true big to go run lobs and you know guard the other team's best big, they would have they would have been unstoppable. And the Thunder Doctor who had actually done a surgery on Tyson Chandler's toe, he was the surgeon, failed his physical, they rescinded the trade one day later as Tyson was on his way to the airport to hop on a plane for Oklahoma City uh, back in February of 2009.
2: how could history be different for all these franchises? The
8: butterfly effect thing in the NBA has always been the coolest to me, whether it's deciding not to trade for Kevin Love if you're the Warriors and holding on to Klay Thompson and then Kevin Love gets shipped to Cleveland and now they're playing Cleveland. Stuff like that is so cool to me to think about. And uh, Casey Smith, who was the, the the Mavericks team doctor, who was the Team USA doctor uh, that summer before uh, Tyson was traded, he's the one who said, this dude's fine. This is worth it. And, you know, Mavericks aren't getting that title without Tyson. So it's just man's kinda...
2: also more risk taking yeah right maybe if there was this much of a risk and, and Oklahoma City certainly not they they're very penny pinching and risk averse
8: yeah whereas the Mavericks you know
2: will spend anything and especially
8: yeah. in this era although you know kind of funny the way it played out after this uh, but you think yeah. about like Casey Smith but
2: they got their title at least
8: yeah think about Casey Smith um, I assume winning in the room to avoid on bringing uh to to pass on bringing Chandler Parsons back. That was all medical related and that dude's barely played basketball since then. Mm-hmm. Since Casey Smith said it's just not worth it with this dude's with this dude's lower half. So, that's an interesting angle to this. And that was that, after
2: the title, right? So, oh, yeah. we've already had our title. So, right. I, I feel like Cuban might have been more risky before the title. Probably so.
8: Yeah, but if anything, you just have to tip your your cap to to Casey Smith. Um And, yeah, it's really interesting to think about what would have happened if Tyson would have ended up in Oklahoma City because they had already completed the trade um, in in principle. They were going to give up Joe Smith and Chris Wilcox. Um, And then the other thing about that, though, is that because they are cheap, it's thought that maybe the Thunder also kind of got scared on paying Tyson the $25 million he was owed over the next two years, which, as I went back and watched Game 1, not to get too specifically into this game, we'll do that tomorrow, it is just insane that you do not see James Harden check into the game until three minutes left in the first quarter. A guy who is arguably the most dominant scorer, maybe the game has ever seen. <laughs> he's certainly right now um, one of the toughest covers, and he's just three minutes in the first quarter. Like he and they almost view. They almost mention it in the telecast like a oh, here's a desperation play. It's hard in time because they need to get a little shooting out there. I mean, he's coming off the bench in two thousand in the summer of 2011 and it's just
2: now, was trippy. He like, was he like Jet in that he would be in there in crunch time of the games?
8: Yes, I do believe that's the case. But like, for example, in this in this year, he averaged 12 points a game in 26 minutes and started only five times. He started a total of seven games in three years for the Thunder. Like they just didn't you know, his his third year, he played 31 minutes a night, uh, but only started two games. I mean, they just never...
2: So even though, even with those numbers, Houston somehow saw Yeah, you know, I, this guy could be a, not only a guy we should trade for and make a starter, but, like, build everything around him.
8: Yeah, and I've heard Daryl Morey talk about this before and say, like, you know, because the Rockets are a very analytically inclined team. Yeah, um, Everyone kind of is now, but they were one of the first... And I've heard him say before, like, okay, this dude shoots 39% from three on almost three attempts a game. Uh, I guess at that point it was actually only like two att- uh, four and a half attempts a game. And I've heard Maury say before, if you can hit it close to 40% at that number, there's no reason you couldn't continue to do it at doubling. If it was one attempt a game, you might say that's really tough to project. But if you're averaging four and a half attempts a game shooting 39%, They very correctly bet that he could, I mean, for example, last year he took 13 threes a game and still hit at a pretty good percentage.
2: Not 39, but pretty good. But some guys you would say, like, let's say Boban is a guy. Or maybe J.J. back in the day would be, if he was out there for more minutes, that would overexpose him and it wouldn't, you know. He's playing against backups. Right. So I don't know if that was an argument. You know, ever thought of by OKC to justify what they were doing, but it's pretty cool that Maury could see through that. Like it's amazing, actually. It's incredible. that you would trade for a a sixth man and build everything around him, pay him, and
8: they maxed out a guy who had started seven games.: It makes you in think, three years. <laughs> it
2: makes you really question the uh, talent evaluation ability of Oklahoma City. They had him there. they had him in practice every day. Because don't you even just sit there and go, you know, this league, you definitely need a superstar to win a title. Uh, if you win two, that helps you a lot if you have two. But if you have these three guys, all league MVPs at the same time, kind of in their prime, and you didn't win a title, is that kind of embarrassing?
8: It is embarrassing. And
2: I don't know if it's talent evaluation
8: or not, because Sam Presti, the Thunder GM, is pretty highly... He's well-regarded in the league. Well, Who was the coach? Scott Brooks was, for a long time, the whipping boy of everybody, you know, every NBA fan. Just like, yeah, why? Why this guy? Yeah,
2: he was there. He had, you know.
8: Right. And the other factor with he that... He had the roster. Um, and I think at the time, I probably defended it a little bit because think back to whenever the Mavericks were in their heyday. Cuban was losing a lot of money. I mean, they were the second most luxury tax team for like a decade. They were not making money. And then you think about the Thunder, and you're like, okay, well they're in a small market. Man, I don't know. I mean, if they don't want to pay the guy, if they don't want to go to the luxury tax, they don't want to pay the guy. So one, I think they moved a year early. You know, I think they could have waited another year before trading him. And then second, about two years after that trade went down, where they moved Harden to Houston, Zach Lowe obtained a memo. Uh, I think this is back in the Grantland days that he published, showing that the Thunder were making like they were top ten in profit. So they were not losing money. Those games have been and, sold out forever in Oklahoma City, and they had an extremely rabid, loyal fan base. They pushed this to the public as a finance move, and in reality, it they was, wouldn't it was, make as much. They wouldn't make as much.
2: But it's all—all all, all these franchises—you make it when you sell, right? right? Yeah. Because now they're all worth a billion. Yeah. You know that's or, even yeah, if you say Cuban was losing money year to year, that may be true. But how much different is the value of the franchise right now? Right. You're, so you're, when you you're effectively it making money in assets. Yeah.
8: yeah. It's just wild, man. It's really wild to go back and look at this team with 22-year-old Harden, 22-year-old. They're all about 22. And then you have the Mavericks, who I think their youngest starter at the time was 28. It's really the oldest and the youngest two teams in the league uh, squaring off against each other. Uh, in the Western Conference Finals in 2011, and the Mavericks were not going to be stopped by the Thunder. The th- The Mavericks look like they're playing a little brother team in this series, and it's really cool to go back and see all those guys on the floor uh, at the same time, and I think it just adds to the mystique of Dirk that, you know, it's not just Brandon Roy in the first round. It's not just the Lakers uh, and Phil. Knocked it's all- off
4: Phil
2: and Kobe. Right. And knocked now- off LeBron and, and the, the big three. In
8: their first year, whenever everybody was, you know, Hyped that, you know, it's not not one, not two, not three, not four, but, not five. But... but
2: knocked off a three-MVP team? Amazing. Do you think, in retrospect, are people now calling the Heat the Heatles more? Because I, I don't recall that being a thing at all when they were playing together. You
8: think it's very Great Wall of Dallas?
2: Yes, referring to the... Good offensive line that the Cowboys hit once had. That no one ever used that term.
8: I don't know. I feel like I have heard it in the last couple years, but I don't remember hearing it in 2010, 2011 yeah. at, at all. We just called them the big three. So there you have it. We'll kick this off in earnest tomorrow. Um, spoiler alert, Dirk absolutely abuses anybody they try to put in front of him in game one to the tune of 48 points. Dirk was so damn good in this run, man. <laughs> it's just... Cool, because it's not just that they won; they won with their best player averaging almost thirty a game, uh, and just schooling all the kids. So we'll do that. Uh, we'll do that
2: tomorrow. <laughs> Yours. <laughs> <laughs>
8: I don't think I've ever heard this one. Yours. 1250 here on Sports Radio 967 1376. It's Dan, it's Jake, Bad Radio, live from the Dragon's Den. Level of sports sesh for you Yours. in 20 minutes, including Hard Knocks asking, why not both? But right now we're going to continue our walk down memory lane, the Mavericks 2011 finals run. Went through Portland, and the Mavs getting up off the mat after blowing a massive 20-plus point lead uh, late in that game. And then the sweep of the Lakers, uh, the KO of Phil Jackson, J.J. Barea simply uh, looking like an MVP. Kind of set the table for the Western Conference Finals yesterday as the Mavericks take on the upstart Oklahoma City Thunder, who had just emerged from a seven-game series with the Memphis Grizzlies. Resulting in the Mavericks having, I want to say, eight days off.
2: Is uh, did Memphis knock off San Antonio? They did. Okay. In wow, what a run round. they had, huh? Yeah,
8: it was. It was, and you know, there was a triple overtime game, uh, in the Thunder Grizzly series that you know they they it was very uh you know down the middle in that in that uh, Oklahoma City, Memphis series, and Memphis you know as an eight seed, that's almost who Dallas saw here, but. They did so. The Mavericks are off for like eight days, which is huge because they're a very old team. We saw that them giving Jason Kidd some time at the end of the regular season off resulted in him being really uh, solid against Portland in the first round. Um, and this is this is the Thunder trying to figure out their powers. Uh, they made the playoffs the year before with fifty wins in uh, two thousand nine, uh, two thousand ten. The year before that, they had won twenty three games in oh eight, oh nine. So this is really the only the Uh, Second year of the Thunder being good, of course, the year after this, they would go on uh, to reach the finals and lose in that round. But the only other thing of note in this series is thinking back to the 2009 season when the Thunder actually traded with New Orleans for center Tyson Chandler. And the Thunder team doctor had done Tyson's toe surgery, and he ultimately nixed the trade and said, this guy has failed the physical that I gave him. I'm too worried about paying a guy with this injury history this much money. And the Mavericks, whenever the time presented itself, and their team doctors said, we're totally on board with it. Casey Smith, the Mavs doctor, had just worked with Tyson, uh, Team USA, the, the year before. So the Mavericks, it's weird because they made a really ballsy move for something nobody else, or at least one of their chief com- uh, competitors, wanted to do. And then let the guy walk, which we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, it's just astounding to watch this Thunder team and see Durant figuring out that he's Durant and seeing uh, Westbrook trying to figure out how to not, you know, be bad Westbrook. And then to see James Harden coming off the bench. Uh, Durant and Westbrook were 22 in this series. Harden was 21. And I thought it was interesting to listen to bad radio from <clears throat> right before this series started to sort of talk about... Um, what they see in Oklahoma City, given that we now know how it ended up.
3: I, I know Bill Simmons was on this a couple years ago that he used to comment about how the Thunder seemed to be egoless and none of them, cause Durant sets the tone. He's kind of Dirk like in that you just don't think that he's obsessed with what makes NBA players obsessed.
2: That's funny.
3: It's hilarious.
2: So they're egoless. And uh, I, at
8: the time, like I remember when Kevin Durant signed his first, like his second contract he just sort of maybe had a press release and this is during the era of the decision and i'm like man kevin durant just such a down home keep his head down just wants to go play ball type guy and that's who he was you know it really did kind of make sense to say they were egoless and ultimately they ended up having one of the most protracted back and forth peeing matches between westbrook and durant with memes and
2: well, and you know, speaking of sub-tweets. the LeBron decision, so I wrote that in my notes for this game was just that, you know, they, they were calling Durant humble because he only announced his on Twitter, like you said. He didn't have a big thing. Um, but I was thinking OKC okay, at that point already had a better roster around Durant than LeBron ever had in his first Cleveland stint. Not even close, yeah. <laughs> so just the heights he could have achieved had. You know, and I don't think LeBron would have left had they put together that kind of a roster. I mean, who knows? I would have right? liked to have but, seen,
8: but you, you're probably right. And I, I've tended to agree with you on that point that the comparison between, like, Dan Gilbert and Mark Cuban. Yeah. That it's great to say Dirk was loyal, but they made it pretty relatively easy for him to be loyal as and, opposed to what some of these other dudes have had not had around them. And
2: LeBron was after two contracts. Yeah. So he signed his second deal. Like, just about everybody, Porzingis is the rare exception of a guy who just doesn't even get a second deal with the team that drafted him.
8: Yeah, it almost know. never happens. I mean, Anthony Davis was already on his,
3: you know, he was yeah. in the middle of his second one when he forced a trade, a little bit more on the Thunder egos. And there was nothing going on, and it's just egoless, and now we're we're starting to see kind of the alpha male battle between Durant and Westbrook. I and call the,
0: it Marbury disease.
3: And the feeling is, if they would have lost last series, for sure, maybe, who knows what's ahead, that they'd probably get Westbrook out of there for more of a facilitating point guard. And you know whose name didn't even come up in that conversation? Harden, who was all along thinking, I'm better
8: than
2: both these guys.
8: And right now, might be, and is proving it. And he never even comes up in these conversations. They're like, boy, did they get rid of Durant or did they get rid of Westbrook? And you just think back, and it's funny now that Westbrook ends up in Houston that if they had made him the guy earlier on, there's no way Harden leaves. And you'd definitely rather have Harden and Durant uh, together, and maybe that keeps Durant there because he plays better with Harden. I don't know. It's just funny to listen back to it knowing what we know about the beard now. Um, so getting into this game, uh, the Mavericks definitely looked rusty coming out, as you know you might have expected for a team that had that much time off. Um, and So you said that they
2: had eight days? I think it was
8: eight, yeah, okay. because it was a sweep as opposed to a seven-game series.
2: Rust versus rest.
8: Yeah, and you guys spent a lot of time on that. And at the end of the day, I think everyone kind of concluded that, well, when your average age of your team is 30, you'll take the rest, even if it means you get out of the blocks a little bit slow. Yeah. And the Mavericks did, and they were down in the second quarter, I want to say uh, 44-39, when Kendrick Perkins, as an aside, I forgot how much I hate watching Kendrick Perkins play basketball. Uh, I'm not saying he never served a purpose, and maybe what he's become as hot take media guy in his post-career, Uh, life on on espn maybe that's jading me but he was just for him to now take shots at durant for durant leaving oklahoma city and then you go back and watch these series and kendrick perkins is playing the whole game and averaging like four and two it's like you might just want to sit the next couple plays out but in any case he's a relatively dirty player and he gave uh marion an elbow Again, Mavs down 44-39 now, about five minutes left in the half. He gives gives Marion an elbow, bloodies his nose. They can't get it to stop bleeding. Carlisle runs out on the floor, and uh, you guys pointed out that turning
3: point here. The Thunder start to look like they're throwing quite a bit at the Mavs, and did that get turned around on... The Sean Marion, bloody nose, Carlisle technical, I don't know. That
10: brought the tear to my eye right there, Bob. Yeah, that's because a Because you know
3: what? They played mad. Yeah, they went on, they, what, a 16-3 to run? They got absolutely that yeah.
10: PO'd that uh, a foul wasn't called, Carlisle got the tech, everyone's up, they have their back, and then all of a sudden, bam, they exploded. That brought the little Maverick sports tear to my eye right there at that point.
8: Wow. And uh, they never trailed again. And it was a point on the broadcast with Van Gundy and Mark Jackson where they kept hammering it home, as we've heard both in the Portland and the L.A. series, like, the, Maverick, the Mavericks of old didn't get mad. They would never play mad. And whether it was, you know, Carlisle, I mean, he's out on the floor screaming and gets the tech. Uh, Tyson Chandler's trying to, you know, get in it with Perk a little bit. And it just seemed like that was the narrative that they had changed. That, no, the Maver- the Mavericks will get pissed off. And that's really subjective. But two minutes later, the Mavericks led, and they never looked back. I mean, they, the Thunder never – I mean, for most of the fourth quarter, they were down by 10-plus points. I think they cut it to six or seven at one point, but that was the turning point of the game, at least from a score standpoint. And it started with Marion bleeding for about five straight minutes.
2: And uh, I know Dirk went nuts. So we can talk about that, but I do have notes about Berea that he was in the Matrix, just that he's making shots from everywhere. You know, going to the rim, he's hitting shots from three. And I also uh, made a note that I must apologize to JJ because I believe before the whole playoff started, and maybe just throughout his career, I always thought a guy that they lean on that heavily, that small, has a team ever won an NBA championship with. You know he's one of their first. He's second guy off the bench, because uh, Jet would be first guy off the bench in theory, right? But they they really he played a lot of minutes that year, you know, because Kid is old, and I just didn't think, I thought that would hurt them tremendously, and especially defensively. Uh, but man, he was he was incredible during this series. Or, he, during the whole playoff run, I mean.
8: He looks unguardable at stretches of the game. He had, it
2: got him a great contract, right? He, yeah. Didn't t- he leave Timber that Wilkes, year, too?
8: Yeah. But Beret had 12 in the fourth, and he just they're just running that high pick and roll over and over and over. And it's weird because let's think, how old was J.J. at this time? I mean, that must have been like 25, 26. It's almost like I forget him as ever not being a guy who's in his 30s. Because he left for the back half of his 20s, but he is the play toy for the national broadcast. I mean, they are smitten with yeah, watching were this going guy. Ux.
2: They were pointing out that he was a national champion tennis player as a youth, which I wondered, is that difficult to be in Puerto Rico?
8: Yeah, they said that his dad was a national champion water polo player. Or not? I guess not national. Whatever you would call that in Puerto Rico, and I'm, I thought the like same is thing. <laughs> he also
2: the tallest guy in Puerto Rico? I don't, you know, he's
8: yeah. It's Bob's Ronda Rousey theory, right? Well, yeah. There's like three women who can fight you, so you're undefeated. Uh, but yeah, JJ was unstoppable in the fourth, and uh, I think you deserve a little credit here. The next day,
3: um, for. Uh, you may get some mailbox money from Bob. There's a, the opponent has no idea what to do with JJ. It's really it, it's an obvious factor here because
2: it's early in these fourth quarters. The bench is unfair a little bit. You know, there when if and when you're writing the book on this series, you'll have to point to their you know, you pulled Jet off the bench. Berea has been unreal. So I don't know who's been more valuable throughout the playoffs off the bench.
8: You might have been speaking colloquially, but you did say when you write the book about this. So That's right. If, that if you would plant seed. the seed.
2: <laughs> yeah. What is uh, that, 5%? 10% I should get? Yeah, I think it's closer to percent Finder's fee?
8: Finder's fee. says uh,
2: uh, at one point in my notes, if we're going to talk Dirk a little. Yeah. He had 40 points on only 12 shots.
8: He did. And that will happen when you go 13 from
2: 13 at the line. In the third quarter. Just the third quarter. <laughs> Dude. Which I believe tied a Michael Jordan record. It did. It's an absolute clinic. So they pulled away in the third. Yeah. Based on Dirk. Right. They
8: closed the second, uh, the first half But uh, then strong. you still have
2: to close the game. We've seen them easily lose leads before. And maybe uh, early in the Portland series, right? Maybe that's one that, again, we can point back to that to say when they had a lead in the fourth, they would step on their throat. They wouldn't. They wouldn't let up. Yeah, it, I think J.J. led that charge.
8: Yeah, 12 for him in the fourth. It did feel different after the Portland game, but whether it was a Baca, whether it was Nick Collison, whether it was trying to guard him with a small or a double, this was a
2: damn clinic from Dirk. What did he finish with? 48 on 15 shots. What was he from the line? 24
8: of 24. Would you like to know what he was from beyond the arc?
2: 24 of 24.
8: Yes, with 13 of those in the third quarter. Dirk beyond the arc in this game, on his way. Like when Klay Thompson gets 48 on 16 shots, you know how he did it. Dirk got 48 on 15 shots and did not take one (laughs) (laughs) three-pointer.
2: And you think of him as the guy who (laughs) initially changed the game.
8: But they just could not, they couldn't stop him. Didn't even
2: take a three.
8: Didn't take a three. And it felt just like he was playing with kids. It felt like he was a dad out playing with his kids, and they were trying real hard, and they were throwing the twenty two year old seven footer and the twenty three year old six nine or six eleven guy at him and he just could not be contained. It was a beauty to go back and watch, and especially because Durant was awesome in this game too, man. He had forty on eighteen for his part, and listening to you guys sort of figure out you know this is what is coming (laughs) for the nba over the next 10 years is really cool
2: imagine his power you know how you think dirk's like his mind now and and all the moves he's developed over the years all right you're leading it right into okay imagine imagine durant's powers yes
3: he doesn't know in a few years he has no idea what his powers are he's so
2: young and raw think
3: about that he leads the nba in scoring and he still doesn't know how good he's going to be
2: and i don't He's 22. I'm making an early call that I don't think this is their series, and, and but this is a guy you're going to, to uh, see so much of in That's, the future. You can shoot it from anywhere. He is the I NBA. It...
8: There were three or four times in this game, <clears throat> he did it at the end of the first quarter once, there was one in the third, where he did the Durant end-to-end. And it's just, he grabs a rebound, and four strides later, he's dunking. <laughs> and you're like, I don't see how anybody's going to do anything about this for the foreseeable future. And it felt like he could have done it every single time if he wanted. Uh, Russ was three for 15 in this game, and it definitely looked like they were on completely different planets trying to play offense together. But I almost got chills watching a few of those Durant plays because I'm like, yeah, I remember the first time I saw him do that and thinking there's never been anything like this dude. Like, he runs like a guard, and he's seven feet tall, and he can shoot, and he's rebounding. Just freak show stuff.
2: And I remember when he was drafted, we made fun of him because (laughs) they have, like, an NBA combine where you have to... Is it 135 pounds bench?
8: Yeah. Something like that? Yeah.
2: That's 100... uh, One plate is 135 pounds?
8: Yeah, one on each side, which Corby did ten times in his challenge. 45
2: on each side? Yeah. Okay.
8: His challenge at the Super Bowl with like Saroy. He,
2: I don't think he could do it ten times. I don't think Therese. he did it
8: once.
11: No, he didn't do it once. He couldn't. I think get... he's the only player to not be able to do it. Now, he's got really long arms, as long-arm guy to make excuses. But you're but thinking still... of a
2: guy, you're in the NBA. You're going to have to tussle. And at that height, you're going to have to get in the paint a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but if you're that weak. <laughs> um, But, yes, I did predict this young up, upstart that nobody had heard of. Uh, would be good someday.
8: Well, he was phenomenal in Game 1, man. And just the stark difference, as I said, between Russ getting to 20 points on 15 shots and KD getting to 40 points on, uh, on what, 18. And I thought, every time I hear this in this audio, I'm going to play this for you. All right? It doesn't make me look great, but I'm going to play it every time. And that is mentions of things... Like this.
3: How do you not love Tyson Chandler? What a stud. Pay the man his money. Unbelievable.
2: There's no way they don't, right?
3: No. By the way. Just
2: based on the history of them overpaying big men. Yeah, no, no way. It never He'll be back.
8: (laughs) Dan's so sad right now.
2: (laughs) Just give it a try, right? It's not my money.
8: Yeah. Alright, so there's game one. Mavericks win 121, 112. Dirk's, I believe, eighth 40-point game in the playoffs, uh, in his career up to that point, and just absolute legendary stuff.
2: I also have noted that halftime of that game, I think, is when they did the NBA lottery.
8: Do you remember which lottery it was?
2: Uh, is the Cavs get Kyrie?
8: It's the Cavs get Kyrie, and it is Bear Trap, because Dan Gilbert's i believe son
2: who had some problems had some
8: some medical problems was did the pick or put on the dais as the good luck charm
2: yeah
8: and they got it and i remember thinking the next day well what if they would have lost the lottery would you have said look why would you have thought a kid who's had pretty rough luck so far in his life uh should be up there but it uh it was it did work out well for everyone and yeah That ended up being Kyrie. We're going to keep the Mavericks 2011 Remember a Time journey going. We talked uh, yesterday about Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals when the Mavericks, uh, the second or third oldest team in the NBA that year, uh, put on a dang clinic in Game 1. Dirk had 48, including 13 of 13 at the line in the third quarter alone. As the Thunder just did not have an answer for Dirk whenever Dirk was hitting his stride. The Thunder were 22 Durant, 22 Russ, 21 Harden. Uh, They just, they were not ready for what Dallas was bringing to the table. And Dirk in particular, Abaca couldn't hold him, Collison couldn't hold him, Perkins couldn't hold him. Uh, Berea came alive in the fourth uh, fourth quarter and I think had 12 there. So it looked like an utter mismatch in round one, or excuse me, in game one of the Western Conference Finals. The Mavericks won that one, 121-112. Game two, two days later, still at home here in Dallas, a little bit of a different story as we started to see the slightly better version of Russell Westbrook. If you remember, we were talking the other day. In game one, Russ went something like 3 of 15 uh, in game one, and you guys were talking about, as we listened back to Bad Radio from 2011, just what is this guy? You know, he's clearly not a traditional point guard. He takes bad shots, he turns the ball over. Why doesn't Durant have the ball more? But then every few plays, uh, Russ will do something where you think, Man, I don't know if anyone else can the league in the league can do that. He had a triple double in the series before in the Thunders win over uh, over the Grizzlies and he it's just really fun to me, in particular with K D, Russ and Harden, to listen back to what everyone thought about them at this time. Because Harden is coming off the bench. For the Thunder, and here's the way that you guys, uh, at this point, you know he he's a sixth man. And so even though he was uh, a high pick in the draft, he was just a sixth man, and this is what we were still calling him back then. Will this play?
3: But with those five guys, the Cook. Beep,
2: the B-beard guy is off the bench? Cook,
3: yeah. Collison, Harden, the B-beard guy who I he think. He plays thoughtless minutes, but he's, yeah, he's, he's their, off the bench. Yeah, he's there, Jason Terry. Yeah, he's always yeah. in there at crunch time, yeah. right? And he's awesome. Man, he's don't you think, a top three pick in the draft, and people are acting like he came out of nowhere.
2: Yeah, oh, but, is he really?
3: He was B-beard guy.
2: Yeah, he's that guy.
8: <laughs> Now he's, you know, an MVP and a guy who might be the best scorer in the game right now. But at this time, he's still a bench player that we called the B-beard
2: guy. I guess I still didn't realize his pedigree was a top three pick. Yes. So, so it was just implanted in our minds, since he was a six-man, that there must be something about him that makes him not superstar worthy. In that draft, he went behind Blake Griffin and Hashim Thabeet.
8: And he was a sophomore coming out of Arizona state, uh, the B beard guy was, but again, at this point, I think he had started three games in Oklahoma City. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense that he was uh you know to, to think that he was about to become a guy who would average 35 a game. Um, so game two, really, really interesting game. Uh, the Thunder were much better prepared. They threw a bunch of different coverages at Dirk. They fronted him a lot more. But what I had forgotten about Game 2 is that early on we got the good version of Russ. Uh, I think in the first half, I don't know what you have on this game in your notes, but in the first half you had 12 points, 3 assists from Russ, uh, 4 of 8 shooting, 16 in the first from Kevin Durant. As you go into the third quarter, uh, this game was it was a one-point game. I want to say it was 77-76, Oklahoma City. see if I can confirm that for you real quick here in Game 2. This is Game... Okay, Game 2. Game 2, 77-76, Oklahoma City. Russell Westbrook, benched at the end of the third quarter, doesn't play a second of the fourth quarter. And I went back and watched like a supercut of his night, and, man, it's one of those things when you look back and you already know the way it ended... It seems obvious, but just watching how bad Russ gummed up their offense with Durant, I'm surprised it took as long as it did for them to get tired of each other and split because Russ is just, he had four turnovers to go along with his four assists in the first three quarters. He's stopping the ball nonstop and then playing one on one. And when Scott Brooks took him out of the game at the end of the fourth quarter, he threw a tantrum. And Brooks didn't go back to him for even one minute in the fourth quarter. They went with uh, Eric Maynard, who was their backup point guard at the time. He played the entire fourth quarter, and they end up beating Dallas in a back-and-forth game, 106-100, with zero minutes from Russ in the fourth quarter. Wow. A second-team All-NBA player straight-up benched in the fourth quarter of a game, starts fighting with his coach, and uh, that kind of ends up being what gets the Thunder the win because their offense looks way more control or in control at that point.
2: And uh, here's you guys on that the next day. Yeah, but if you're right. If they lose that game, they come then apart, all of a right? sudden you're a mess because you're like, wow, so we won 55 games or whatever it was during a regular season. We get to the Western Conference Finals, and after one game, you're blowing everything up.
8: But in hindsight, now that I've watched this game again, they had to do it. And I'm really stunned that it had wasn't. To bench him? Yes. I'm really stunned in retrospect that it wasn't Russ that got moved and it was Harden. I guess it was contract-related at the time, but Russ had to go, man. It just – it's almost – the best offense the Thunder uh, has in this era is involving Harden and KD or just KD going end-to-end and just doing freak show stuff. So Dallas loses game two at home, 106-100. They're headed back uh, to Oklahoma City. And at this point, that's the first loss – Uh, First loss that the uh, Mavericks had had in 27 days. Because they won the last two games of the Portland Series. They swept L.A. and then they had eight days off. So there was a period of time in the middle of the Mavericks championship run where they didn't lose a game for 27 days. Interestingly enough though, did you know that during the 2011 season, the Mavericks sustained the longest losing streak in the regular season that they had during Mark Cuban's entire tenure as owner.
2: Was it when Dirk was out?
8: Yeah, Dirk and Caron went out at the same time, and I think without Dirk, they went two and nine. But that included a six-game losing streak, which no matter how bad it was, when Cuban first no year the team, they've ever no, the year they won the title was the same year they had the longest losing streak in Cuban's entire tenure as an owner. Now I'm sure that's been fun fact beat now, but yeah. just the symmetry of it. Uh, and then a little bit more before we head to uh, game three, just on the fear and the fan base.
3: Three weeks ago or a month ago, whenever it was, like it's, it's all running together. But the Mavs had not really won any playoff games in five years on the road. Then they go to the Rose Garden. That's right. We
2: were just doing that segment were we that they're one and nineteen or something like that, two and eighteen in the last twenty or something like that. They go to the
3: Rose Garden, get game six. They get games one and two at Staples. Now they're on a three-game road win streak. They won both games at OKC this season. They're you know the best road team, and now we're all like, yeah, we'll go get one this weekend, no problem. And you know, I, I I don't doubt that they can. I I also have a fair amount of nerves going into Game 3 and Game 4 that they better go get one of these and preferably go get two of these over the weekend. But OKC's up for this. They, uh, they've they got guys who ain't scared and are ready to take shots in the fourth quarter. And apparently they have a whole bench of guys willing to take uh, shots in the fourth quarter and, 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 and stick them right in your face.
8: So the Mavericks had not lost a game in a month. They had just beaten the brakes off the two-time champion Los Angeles Lakers, they lost one game by six points to a team of 22-year-olds and we're already back to... Well, you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> These guys... Uh, well, spoiler alert, the Thunder never had a lead in Game 3. The Mavericks let it wire to wire, and they silenced them. And I'm looking
2: at my note. Is that the one they started out with, the 21-8 run? Yeah. The Mavericks came out 27, in an extremely after
8: first. aggressive, ain't-no-blanking-way attitude in Oklahoma City. And that Thunder crowd back then was rocking. It's a weird place. You know, it's a, I think Mike Reiner used to call it vacation Bible school. But it was loud, man. It had a Sacramento, Portland-like, one-horse town
2: town team vibe to it back then. It was a Saturday night game, if I'm not mistaken. If you've ever seen that uh, Vice documentary on Dennis Rodman going to North Korea, (laughs) they play basketball in an arena, and everybody sits in their seat and does not move. There's not milling about. That is what the Oklahoma City crowd looks like. No one left their seat. It's really weird. It's weird because they have the pregame prayer. It's weird that, and if they have a shirt thing, like everybody wear white, everybody falls in line. There is no, like in Dallas, some people got to cool. look good or. Yeah, it's, it's, they're all zombies, uh, you know, just droning on about uh, their team. They're, it's great, you know, if you're. Playing in that team, I guess, to have fans like that. But, yeah, the one-horse town thing has to play into that.
8: Well, that was not the time for them to uh, be propelled by their home crowd because, again, there were no lead changes in Game 3. It was not it was a boring-ass game. And I watched I the whole thing this morning. It's but just it,
2: called the Oklahoma City Arena, too, right? Unless that's changed now. But back then, that's what I have in my notes. Like, there was no sponsor. I it know, was just generic place.
8: I think they put Chesapeake on there at some point because Chesapeake was the energy company that was – uh, that's where they the get owners. their energy yeah that's where they choose they choose Chesapeake but uh, there's nothing fantastic about game uh three other than the fact that only two Thunder players were in uh double digits 30 for Russ 24 from KD James Harden played 35 minutes in game three and had seven points he took just nine shots they just weren't getting him looks and it's funny because in the middle of this year uh, this season the Thunder had traded Jeff Green really high draft pick for them a couple years before uh to the celtics and they got back kendrick perkins and this is from the game broadcast of them talking about uh the negotiations between the thunder and the celtics
7: i think Harden eventually in these tough playoff series is going to have to play you know in that high
8: 30 minute range
7: well jeff green did bring them 15 points per game they hope harden can be that player as we've spoken earlier in the playoffs harden was actually the guy the celtics preferred to acquire in that trade wound up taking jeff green instead
8: the so jeff green was a fifth overall pick like and the they, year before they hope
2: harden could be a 15 point a game, game
8: right hopefully we can replace jeff green's 15 and then it's just crazy though because they're saying no we're playing hardball here we're not giving you harden that's our guy we know what he's going to turn into and then you let him walk over a million dollars a year two seasons later to another team that was ready and willing to pay him what you wouldn't. But, again, thinking about how hard had gone to the Celtics for Jeff Green, how weird, just how connected the NBA is. Uh, and speaking of that, I'm not sure that anybody in the history of the league has done more of a conscious heel turn in their career than Kevin Durant. And maybe you can think of some that because you have you know, maybe a little more historical perspective than I do, but maybe LeBron with the decision,
2: but, but is then it he is came it back him, and he went. Is it not him consciously doing a heel turn, but just his actions have made our minds call him a heel now? Because like, it, it, you're talking about the media's perception, or you have been in the last couple days, the media's perception of him and the fans' perception is humble guy, you know, knows the grindstone or whatever you say. The just doesn't need any credit. You know, just uh, just just a teammate. You know, can no ego, and that's how it was painted of him at this point in history. But then when he leaves the team and joins the team that they were leading three-one in the Western Conference Finals, like he joins the best team in the NBA without you to win some championships. That just felt, that immediately made him a hated individual. And he might have thought, oh, it's no big deal. I mean, LeBron left already. Like, LeBron set the template for this. We're allowed to leave and go play with, uh, well, at least LeBron did it as starting a whole new thing with two guys who were very good friends of his. Uh, That was different than, you know, Durant had no prior friendship with any of these guys, but they kind of pitched him like, well, yeah, sure, join our team, It's it's the salary cap, you know, has gone up by 20 million this year. We we could afford it. Do You want to join our team? Like
8: it, it just seems to be like later in his career, whether it's after that move or not, he became way more
2: combative. And I think it's because we broke Maybe him. yeah, maybe he got so much criticism from that. And that because before he wasn't you're not going to be combative when everybody's saying, "Ah, you're the greatest guy I've ever seen. Yes. You're so humble. You're not a uh, selfish guy at all. You don't even need any credit." Why is he going to fight you when you're saying that? And I might go back to
8: before the move and point to what a big deal was made out of him and his mom's relationship when he won the MVP and he cried on the the podium, and it was very emotional for him. And he gave out the mom, "You're the real MVP," which became a meme for the first couple of years afterward. Meme. You're the real MVP, and here's a from I think this is game two. It doesn't really matter. Uh, just the way that KD was talked about back then in his fourth year in the league. There's Wanda Pratt. Wanda Pratt's his mother.
7: Kevin's mom who deserves congratulations for the type of young man she raised. We talk about it all the time. You will not find a higher character, more humble young player, especially a superstar, where it's easy to get caught up in yourself sometimes in this league. One of the best moments for me was after Game 7, the big game by Kevin Durant. He does his interview and then he runs into the stands and hugs his mother. You know, that's that's not fake. That that's that's pure genuine love. In warm-up lines tonight, he stepped out of layup lines to hug his mom too. And I'll tell you this, Mike. This is not—they're falling
8: all over
1: themselves.
7: <laughs> this is the, this is the norm now. Now I You've got a better a lot one. Of superstars yeah, who care as much about their game as their brain? Derek Rose, Dirk Nowitzki, they're not trying to sell themselves, they're not trying to be a brand, they're trying to be a great player and a championship player. Nowitzki had to go up his fingertips, by the way, the reason for the extra free throw, Nowitzki with a lane violation, this was the scene you guys were talking about, with Durant, nice kiss for mom, but all three of those guys you mentioned, Durant, Nowitzki and Rose, three stars of this league, they're just so humble. There's such humility about them. Right? <laughs> they don't even know. They don't even know they're, they're good. good. <laughs> lighting it up early. He's got 14 of their 24
2: points, and I love
8: that. They're going to put JJ. Okay, so, yeah. It's- I'll
2: tell you once, uh, they called a timeout with five seconds left. They were down one. They were going to draw up a play. Durant left the huddle. <laughs> just to go hug his mom. <laughs> Left the huddle, didn't care about uh, the final shot, didn't care if they won that game. It was the seventh game of a uh, of a playoff series too. You're probably
8: right. More than anything Loves it, his just, mom. it just I'm playing this to highlight how much us we dummies change what we say about a guy based on because he's turned he? into probably the, exact same dude. the Undertaker basically, but yeah. back then it's like, Oh, look at him. Look all these other NBA players spitting on their mothers as they come out onto the floor. Oh yeah. yeah. Kevin
2: Durant I saw a Harden. Nice hug. Uh, yeah, Harden <laughs> wouldn't even toss his mom a quarter. She was begging outside. Uh, she's homeless.
8: We're remembering different things about 2011 as we go through this thing. It's like you're even 10 years later. Your mind just picks three or four things, and those are the things. Mother's Day massacre, fourth quarter, uh, Dwayne Wade and uh, and LeBron coughing. Uh, he went early on the layup, the call by, I think, Mike Breen. He went he went too early when Dirk had the lefty layup. But it's been really cool to go back and, and look at this from a, a granular level, I would say, and, and just live it one game at a time. And uh, as we talked about uh, yesterday, Mavs uh, took a 3-1 lead into uh, Game 5 back in Dallas after the Thunder completely melted down in Game 4 at home. The Thunder had a 15-point lead. Late in the fourth quarter of that game, after a Kevin Durant dagger, place is going absolutely bonkers in Oklahoma City, and they had to figure, we're going back to Dallas tied. Why not us right now with 22-year-old, 22-year-old, 21-year-old, 21-year-old, you know Durant, Harden, Westbrook, and Abaka. Mavericks finished game four on a 17-2 run. Uh, never led at all in regulation. First tie since 2 2 was 101 101. They force overtime. They blow the Thunder out in overtime, and they, they bring it back to Dallas 3 1. And there is just absolutely blood in the water, which might have been evidenced by the fact, uh, by the way the Mavericks started game five, extremely flat. I don't know if you have notes on how the game progressed there, because you have the really cool deal of keeping good notes on every game you've watched uh, over the last 20 years. And, it, and they just looked. Pretty, pretty awful.
2: I got Deshaun with an air ball. Yeah, Chan- uh, Tyson Although, missing a couple of that first thing you said. S- that, short. That kind of became a
8: staple of every first quarter. Really? You know, throughout the run,
2: yeah, yeah. I do have the, um, the announcers drooling over Harden's play playmaking ability, and I wrote a note. Why not him at point card? Interesting,
8: like, you say that. Okay. Here's a cut from late in the game because. This is not so much Mavs
2: related, but. Because Russ Westbrook was not, like, had a really bad game four, right?
8: He cost him the game. Yeah. I mean, when Harden fouled out in game four in the fourth quarter, that's really when the run started because Russ, because he's Russ, doesn't see that as, all right, now it's time for me to get the ball to KD. Russ sees that as, it's Russ time. (laughs) And he immediately went on about a one for five with two turnover and two foul and two missed free throw tear that allowed Dallas to get back into the game. I mean,. It's not a stretch at all to say Russell Westbrook cost the Thunder this series. Now, they lost 3-1 to a better team that had way more to play for. So it's not like it was a seven game. you know, It's not a Bill Buckner type thing, but Russ cost them this series. But uh, it's fascinating to me just to go back and look at Harden coming off the bench for this team. And he was playing 25, 26 minutes, but he was only averaging seven shots a game as a sixth man. By contrast, Jet played similar sixth man minutes and took like 14 shots a game. So, yes, he was playing a lot of minutes, but even when he was on the floor, they weren't really using him. And to think that that guy started, you know, seven games in three years for the Thunder and is now a 40-point-a-game guy who's an MVP and is an all perennial All-NBA player who may be the best scorer in the game, it's insane to me. And I put this out on Twitter the other day, of just, does any, is there been a career like this? And one that came to mind was when Tracy McGrady, uh, was, when Tracy McGrady got moved and ended up, uh, in Toronto, he, he took, or excuse me, went from Toronto to Orlando. He went from nine point a game guy to 32 point a game guy in like three or four years. Uh, John Stockton came off the bench his first few years in the league, but John Stockton didn't become an MVP. You know, he became a Hall of Famer and the all-time assist leader, but it's just different when you see a guy in 2020 take over every single game anytime he wants, and in 2011 was largely a passenger <laughs> for a playoff team getting disposed. At, uh, uh, disposed? Depo- I don't even know what I was trying to say there, but here's the broadcast uh, talking Harden. Harden. In game two, that was the one
7: Oklahoma City victory in the series. He's got 22 tonight. And I read, you know, Oklahoma City talking about next year they're going to look at James Harden to be a starter. And when I read that, I say, why not today? Why not right now? What's the difference between the first game next year and when you're playing for your playoff life? He's that good. How important, Marco, to have a guy who's going to give you some scoring punch off the bench with the second unit? This guy is a scorer. What you can do is adjust your rotation where you have a scorer on the floor at all times in Westbrook, in Durant, and Harden. That will make the offense run much more fluidly. But this guy is a
8: starting two-guard in this league. It almost makes Scott Brooks look worse because it's one of those yeah, things that you might if, be saying like, "Well, no one was saying it back then, but Mark, you were saying it." And Mark Jackson, but was if Mark saying
2: Jackson it. especially, right? Right. Because there's a guy who's an idiot, and we've never liked anything he says. Yeah. And uh, he's, but he's even he could see. Yeah, you're going to have three great scorers on the floor. <laughs> that's like that's the point, right? Yeah. You, you will always have one of them on the floor. You don't need him coming off the bench when you have two superstars. Yeah. Uh, like getting the flow together. He's a crunch time guy anyway. You can you can stagger those breaks.
8: And a good, a good illustration of that is the Mavericks went to the break uh, in this game. In,
2: in fact, I'm sorry, you could yeah, always yeah. have two guys on the floor, right? If you have oh, three yeah. superstars, you can always have two of them on the floor. That's the Golden State bit that's so great. And then
8: you close for all three. Yeah, no, to your point. You could not talk about this enough and have it make sense to me. I mean, the more I watch this team play from this era, I'm thinking, how? How? How did you have three MVPs and your plan was, one, you traded the wrong one and didn't pay you know, the right one, but two, how is this guy? And it's clear he could do it back then. That's the thing. It's like you're watching it and listening to you the next day. Mark Jackson's watching it. Daryl Morey, GM of the Rockets, is watching it and thinking, Boy, it seems like every time this guy has the ball, he's the best player on the floor outside of maybe KD. Let's just pay him. So the Mavericks go to the breakdown, 55-52. They never, or they briefly led by one in the first half, but again, they came out super flat. In the second half, Westbrook and KD played all 24 minutes. Never came off the floor. Harden got 17, but Westbrook and KD, elimination game. It's nut cut in time, and they played horribly. Uh, they combined to go, uh, I want to say nine of twenty-seven, with four turnovers between the two of them. They just they cratered. And here's the crazy thing about it that I did not remember, and I'm almost guaranteeing you you have this written down in your notes. Sean Marion scored twenty-six points in this game, tying Dirk for the game high the highest scoring output for Marion on the whole season, regular play, regular season and playoffs combined. Oh, yeah? So if you really want to have that conversation about who is the Mavericks' second-best player that year, when you watch the playoffs unfold and see that one night it's Tyson, one night it's Kidd, one night it's Terry, one night it's Berea, one night it's Sean Marion on both ends of the floor, there's really no answer to that question. And I don't think. You can say that about most title teams. Most title teams have... A clear number two. A very clear number two who might be more like a 1B. And then maybe you'll get some good minutes from these other guys. But Sean Marion showing up with a nice 26-8 and in this game. And uh, I believe he had 14 of those in the fourth quarter. It's just... It's insane to watch how deep this team was. It's like guy 2 through 10 could all be their second best player on any given night. And uh, those 14 points... For Marion came up huge in the fourth, and the Mavericks took the lead in this game at 95-94 at the 114 mark. That was their first lead since the first quarter, and they won it 100 to 96. They very well should have lost this game if it's not for Sean Marion somehow scoring 14 points in the quarter of a of a, a elimination game, and Russ and KD completely falling apart.
2: And they're it's like the Mavs are morphing into the fourth quarter closing team that you see other great teams that, that they become, that they realize, you know, Golden State would play with its food a lot of times for a few quarters. And you're like, "Well, wow, cool, we're within five of Golden State tonight. Yeah, no, you're not. Well, then they they weren't trying their total hardest. They realize, I've got to save the energy for this time of the game. As Michael Jordan, you saw in his career doing, you know, LeBron, same thing, they 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 learn as time goes on. That's what they talk about playoff basketball, you know. It's different. It really is. Which is why I think the more we uh,
8: travel through this, that fourth quarter against Portland might have really been huge. And we can ask Dirk about that later at 155, but I remember that they blew the fourth quarter lead in Portland. I remember that they won the title. I didn't realize how many perilous situations they were in in between there. And maybe the fact that they learned from that is why nothing like that happened again. Uh, I'd be interested to think, uh, see what you think about this from Bad Radio the next day. Let me make sure I have the right one here.
2: Uh... Okay, this is you from the next day. Don't you think before the playoffs started, you could have been talked into, if Dirk never wins it, he's going to be fine with it all. He's almost maybe even come to peace with it already. I think that one's interesting because I don't
8: agree in retrospect with you. But I do remember thinking at the time, the window's closed and this is this is what it is now. And maybe that means he goes to another team at the end of his career and ring chases, like Carl Malone. But I remember there almost being a feeling among the fan base of, we're resigned to the fact that Dirk's just not getting one. Like, we'd kind of stopped having that debate.
2: They're awesome. They were, we probably did analogies with the uh, Atlanta Braves. right. Uh, they're always great. They're always a really, really good team. Just never, you know. But in the NBA, it's it's always clear cut who's going to be in the finals,
8: right? You can pat it on your head.
2: Yeah, you need you need the two superstars thing, and especially now that the Heat had formed what they formed, I figured they'd be the NBA champions.
8: No, oh, I mean I think that was the overwhelming favorite. Um, this is a really cool moment from from after the game, and uh, Blake. Our new producer uh, said that he did not re- he did not remember this, uh, but this one definitely sticks out in my mind. Um, and I've heard Doris Burke, who was doing sidelines for for ABC ESPN that night, talk about this. Uh, but this is after the game, whenever uh, they're attempting to do the trophy presentation and speak with the players, uh, and Cuban is the only one who talks.
9: Mark, if it's possible to be conspicuously inconspicuous. While there are no complaints out of New York, you have been remarkably quiet. Why?
10: doesn't matter. All I can say is there's 20-some thousand people in, in this building who believed in us when nobody else did. There's all the guys on this, in this organization and on the court who believed in us and in coach and fought every game every minute of the way. And all I can tell everybody is, we ain't done yet.
2: He didn't even address Carl- what she said. Right. It doesn't
8: matter. I mean, he immediately said, it "Doesn't matter," and it got to the got to the fans.
9: Coach Carlisle, and this is a group who you have steadily believed in, in the face of a regular season that wasn't always smooth. Six-game losing streak. A lot of injuries. But ultimately, you had faith in this particular group. What about these men gives you that faith?
8: Well, all of us, all of us, including all of our fans, believe. We believe in each other. Uh, this is a great moment, but we've got a lot of work left. Thank,
9: Thank you. Thank you very much. Dirk. Dirk is gone. Jason Kidd. Seems like everybody's abandoning, abandoning me here. Mike Breen, they're off to celebrate. Well,
7: you can't blame them, Doris, as they really do feel. All right, let's celebrate. It's great, but we have one more round to go. What a wonderful scene for Mark
8: Cuban and the Mavericks. Didn't even touch the trophy. Wouldn't talk to Doris. Kid, Terry, Dirk, they're gone. Carlisle knew he had to talk. That became legendary. But other than that, they were they weren't even on the podium. They, they were chanting "beat the heat," and the Heat haven't even didn't even clinch yet. Yeah, the Heat had, were up three one though on D Rose and the Bulls. But yeah, we knew exactly what was coming, and that did become absolutely legendary. That they just walked like, uh, uh-uh. we've been there. We had this problem before. I found this from a
2: bad radio the next day to be pretty cool.
3: Would Dirk have done that in 06? Well, Would he no, have done oh, it in you have, 07? Would you have, you done have it?
2: Referring walking off, obviously. Get to the finals and lose to do that. I, this is the
8: team last you know year in, I mean? in 06 that was partying too much in Miami Beach. Yes, they had to change hotels. Right, yeah.
2: right. Yes, this is the
3: team <laughs> that was not ready to win the title. I'm telling you. But you can't have that This dude is ready.
2: You can't do that unless. You've lost. There's no aircraft
3: carrier with a banner. This is not, there's no mission accomplished here. This is merely 12 of 16. There are four more to get. They may or may not ever get them, but trust me, they're not going to celebrate win number 12. They seek win number 16. There will be no, the Mavs are just happy to be in the finals. These guys, led by that guy, are obsessed with winning one more round. And they're here, and it is awesome. Gives me chills, dude.
2: Yeah,
8: like I, I just now. Dirk be the hyperbole since, guy, but what's be, what's better than this?
2: Dirk has since said, like you've heard him say, he regrets that. Like he regrets that he left Doris yeah hanging, and and he didn't mean to do that. Right. But the way the legend unfolded was, I don't want to touch that stupid Western Conference you know, trophy. Yeah, that's I, not that's not what I play for anymore. And
8: I've heard her say that she gets it, you know. She totally understands, but because it's Derek and he's such a good dude, he l- looks back on it yeah, and he's, he's like, "Oh, man, I guess and... that kind of was rude of me, but we're all like, "No, dude. That's that's <laughs> but that, that's the that, stuff of legends."
2: Yeah, for sure. And uh I'm going to have to agree with uh, 2011 Dan and say they wouldn't have done that had they never felt the sting of 2006. Yeah because, and it's only Dirk, but they followed Dirk. Dirk, you know, if Dirk was on the podium, they would have all been on the podium. Right. He was clearly the leader, and he was there in 06. I think only Dirk and Jet were the only two guys on that team. So that's, um, I don't know how common that is, uh, that much turnover uh, in a roster, and especially it's very Patriots-like in the, Turn over the whole roster, but then go to the championship again,
8: and especially because they weren't terrible in the interim, right? Right, you know, they, they were, were always <laughs> still
2: good. Yeah, they were always very fifty-win teams, uh, but they kept churning that roster and trying to find that right, that exact right mix. And yeah, that's weird that you don't remember that, Blake. Only because that is a bullet point. I remember the uh, comeback in OKC. I remember the uh the blowout in Portland and I rem not the blowout but the, the blowing the huge lead. Blowing the lead and then of course there's many moments you remember from the finals but you know that is one of the big bullet points is that Dirk this ain't this ain't what I'm playing for.
8: So next week we will get into uh the matchup between a team that won't even touch the Western Conference trophy, doesn't even want to talk about it and is that driven against a team that held a wrestling-style pep rally at the start of the year, chanting not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Uh, we'll do
1: that uh, next week. Bad Radio Talks, Dak Prescott.
2: All right, it's quarter after two. It is Jake and Dan here. We're at my house. My office above the garage. We call this an office, right? At least. Got a lock on the door so Trey can't get in anymore. So let's talk a little Cowboys. Draft is two weeks and two days away. We'll start doing a daily draft in a couple days. Lead you up to the draft. We'll do a two-week bit. Um, But today, we wanted to talk a little Dak. So, one, did you see Dak on the Twitter, or maybe it was the Graham, and I just saw it on the Twitter? What do you got? Actually, somebody else was posting this video. Let me try and ascertain where they are. And that be at your workout place? I'm not sure. Uh, if they are no. It is Dak. Throwing footballs to Des.
8: Okay. And it looks wow, nice. Wow, look at
2: him. Hit him there in stride. Neither one of them have lost a step.
8: See, before the ones from over the weekend, we had uh we had the photo that Des put up back on April second, and they're all kinda standing arm in arm with one another after the photo or after the the throwing session, which immediately led to Possible calls for corona cancellation. Don't don't put your arm around each other and post this picture.
2: No, especially now it's kind of a bit to stand kind of far apart from each other. Ha ha. Hug when it's all over. Um, but my point here is. You feeling emboldened? Dez is going to be on the Dallas Cowboys this year. <laughs> I'm almost ready now to say not just he'll be invited to training camp.
8: Did you see the story from over the weekend that he's got Demarcus Lawrence and Amari Cooper lobbying for him with the Cowboys brass?
2: Um, no.
8: Yeah, I think it was.
2: D-Law too, huh?
8: I think it was D-Law who tweeted out, if 88 the X-Factor wants a shot, we got to give him a shot. The Cowboys are home to Dez, and he's always uh, accepted in my book. Maybe it was an AMA or something like that. And Amari? Yeah.
2: Amari doesn't speak. Does Amari talk?
8: Uh, Amari. Has he
2: ever said anything?
8: At least in this case, he flat out said it would be great to play with Dez next year. I do talk to him every now and then. I think it would be great. Obviously, Dez is a great player. When I was in college, and even in my first couple years in the league, he was still considered one of the top five receivers in the game. I don't think that's something you just lose, especially with the way Dez's game is. He goes up and attacks the ball. I think he still has that. I think he can come back and be a dominant player. And if given the opportunity, he'd be able to do so. So, of course, I want to play with him. That's Amari.
2: And Dak's working out with him. Yeah. Yep. Jerry's in the shower thinking about the whole thing.
8: (sighs) Not sure I really need this in our first football season together but it feels like the wind is blowing towards at least it being something that is a shot whenever a month ago I would have told you it was insane.
2: Has Mike McCarthy even whispered anything about it? Jerry has made comments. Steven has made comments. Not totally shutting the door. And is this Mike McCarthy's first road bump in doing what I want to do with no interference? Yeah, I don't
8: know. I mean, I, I if he's commented on it, I certainly haven't seen it. Um, he would be wise. I would bet not to comment on it and just kind of let sleeping dogs lie on that one. And
2: just wait till he shows up at camp,
8: right? Yeah, and see if he can cut him after that. But I'm starting to come around on the maybe it wouldn't be so bad as we draw closer. A month and so a half ago, I said it would have been terrible, but now it's like okay. It's, you
2: were wait, saying wait, he, it's couldn't, gone. he couldn't be a slot guy. Why not?
8: Well, it's just not usually if you're using a guy with that body type and that stride as a slot. It's kind of a change of pace deal. I mean, if you think about most of the, the routes you're running from the slot, talking about usually short, choppy steps. Guys with shorter legs can get in and out of those breaks, throttle down, and get running again faster than. I mean, that's not really Dez's game.
11: That and slot receivers. There's a lot of feel to the position. They got to feel the zone, the zone and, yeah, yeah, and react. And if you'll remember. Something negative about Dez back in the day was he couldn't recognize coverages. They just had to tell him, "Okay, do this."
8: Yeah, and and maybe you could make the case that Amari would be great running the bulk of his routes from the slot. He does some of it already, and he certainly has the the hips and the the ability to control his feet to play from the slot. But if he if Dez ended up here, you're talking probably about. A lack of uh, a real d- lack of uh, returns, diminishing returns past like maybe twelve snaps a game, right? Fifteen snaps a game. Do you really want him here, and everything that comes with that? If you're only going to get that out of it, in a perfect world, I would say yes. If there was no other issues that it might cause, just having to have people asked about it every five minutes, then yes, that'd be great. If you wanted to sign for a pretty close to the minimum. And- but
2: once the first fifteen minutes is over, and as far as asking about it. You know, it's not going to be a big deal, right, as far as distraction? They or start, is it? Unless they start losing. And Do they go starts, to and starts complaining that I, they should target me a little bit more?
8: I'm getting three a game, or two and three. I add that together and say I'd like to make some comments. I actually I think you can read between the lines that Dez has come a long way emotionally and for whatever it's worth on a emotional intelligence level. But is that enough at this point? Because he did, you know, I think by his own admission, have quite a long way to go, given the way that he grew up and was probably kind of coddled by the his first boss. <laughs> really, his, his only boss.
2: I wonder what, like, does Sean Lee even weigh in?
8: I mean, who, too? Jerry? Do Steven? They, do they? Basketball bunch doesn't live here anymore, you know?
2: Witten's yeah. gone.
8: Lenahan, Garrett, Witten, Romo.
2: Which is why Dez thinks he's got an, uh, a way back in.
8: Oh yeah, I'm sure he's done that. That mental
2: math. And well, do we have to wait for the draft to unfold and then see? So is this a three-week in three weeks? Would because uh, I'm thinking why has no other team sniffed around Dez? Why did Sean Payton bail on him when it seemed like he was going to be his savior?
8: Well, I mean, the Achilles, and they probably just weren't really willing to put up with his, you know, they don't, they didn't owe him signing him back up to rehab a very serious injury whenever he ruptured his Achilles on, what, week one of his workouts with the Saints. So, you know, if that had not happened and he had come out and balled out for five games, I think he'd probably be on a roster as a third wide receiver somewhere right now. But he didn't.
2: (laughs) But he didn't. Uh... If we save the whole DAC discussion until the next segment, are there any other little cowboys issues that we need to at least say this is going on, or uh, should we just tease this ahead like as if we're just doing a cowboy today? Yeah, let's just tease it ahead because I really wanna I want us to spend plenty of
8: time uh taking apart the DAC both sides of it thing because it's it
2: feels like we're not too far away from this thing being final yeah, there's two big articles out just both in the past week on. You know, one very pro-DAC, one very anti-DAC. So uh, that makes for some radio next.
4: Let's see here.
2: Why don't we tell you about the Tickets Online merch store? It's full of new inventory to restock your swag supply for the spring. Go to ticket.com now. Get some classic ticket T-shirts, sweatshirts, and hats, plus all the ticket stock gear you missed out on the first time. Uh, Raymond is the guy who runs E6 Sportswear over there. Has made a couple of new Bad Radio shirts as well. Promises that next week he's getting in some uh, masks, surgical masks, that you could wear to the grocery store. Masks? <laughs> So I'm not sure if you go there right now if they have that link up as far as uh, getting a free mask with your Bad Radio shirt as well. Don't know. Uh, and he also has the Seacow Center t-shirts. And really the initial reason we made the uh, new Super Bad Radio shirts are just to promote our product on Mike Saroy. He's a walking billboard. i got to remember to Venmo him, his uh, contract. Uh, But while he's on Twitch, to the four people who watch that, they'll see our T-shirt, Jake, and then they'll tell a few people. And then before you know it, everybody will be listening to us, and other radio stations will not even exist. But it's all going to start with him wearing a T-shirt.
8: Have you at all considered the potential blowback of him doing something very offensive that ends up going uh, viral, and perhaps getting fired? But he's wearing a, <laughs> a new bad radio T-shirt while offering his theory on fill in the blank.
2: That's part of the risk reward, right?
8: <laughs> I guess so. Yeah.
2: If you sign up the Sea Cow, it's it, like it, it, you know, if it, you advertise on the ticket or whatever, you're yeah. This is the ticket. You're, uh, we're we're not messing around. You might go up against the line here now and again.
8: Might be yelling about dolphin rape.
2: But we hope the pros will outweigh the cons overall. So on this very sportsy Tuesday, um, we're now looking at Dak Prescott. And <clears throat> the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys will get some ink, will he not, as far as things written about him, and especially – if there's a little debate going on, could you have imagined a couple years ago the debate now is not whether it's like he's going to make. He's what, going to be 30, the highest paid player in the league. But but just on his franchise tag, he'll make $31 million this year. And I believe if they tagged him again next year, it would be $37 million.
8: Yeah, and I guess that so, technically could be higher, right? Because we don't know what the average salaries are going to be yet until all those deals are finalized. The deals of which he's paid on the average of.
2: Yeah, so the franchise tag is the top five at your position. Right. Average. Yep. So that shows you how much quarterbacks are making these days. The question is, is Dak Prescott a top five quarterback? You know, was Kirk Cousins a top-five quarterback when you were tagging him every year and you were the Redskins? Certainly you you would not say that. But that's the way capitalism works, right? That's the way free agency works. You don't have to be a top-five quarterback in the league. You have to be a top-five quarterback available to be signed by somebody. And Kirk Cousins was, and he got a fully guaranteed $30 million a year deal. Um. And I think so, it's also
8: important to note that if you're signing a guy for four or five years, you're saying, do you think that they can have one of the five best four- or five-year runs over the next stretch? And I don't think that's as crazy. Dak will probably continue to get
2: better. Especially after last year, yeah. he kind of took another step. He threw for almost 5,000 yards. He uh, throws and runs for a bunch of touchdowns, so he's, he's you know able to do things in different ways. He's proven to be a pretty good leader.
8: Very durable which can change in the bleak of an eye, but he's not a guy who's spent a bunch of time,
2: or any. So what are the, can you describe exactly the dates and all that for the franchise tag? Like, so right now they've tagged him, but he has not signed that. Uh, so I think he still has until a certain day when they can actually negotiate a long-term deal. Because I remember, I think Drew Brees was even tagged But they never ended up using it. And I believe Drew Brees at the time said, I'm not going to show up to training camp if I'm still under the tag. No one wants to be under the tag.
8: Yeah, so they have until July 15th to negotiate a multi-year contract with the team. If they don't, then what? Uh, Well, they could either sign the tag or they could not sign the tag (laughs) and not play. And if they don't sign the tag, I
2: believe, before week 10, then they're done for a year. Okay, but so after July 15th. It can only be one year. Even if he doesn't sign the tag, it doesn't matter. You can't You can't keep working on a long-term deal. Right.
8: That's it. After July 15th, it's got to be one year until you can, I guess, you come back around at the end of the year.
2: Can they not sign a deal saying this begins at the end of this year?
8: That I've never heard of. I would imagine that would be illegal, I would think, but I've never heard of somebody saying, the multi-year window is, is off. We're going to sign a one-year deal here with a – maybe you could do like a wink-wink, nod-nod thing, but what happens then if he – And why would the team do that? Right. There's that no, no benefit there. And it, it seems as if uh, – so July 15th is that date, so we've got a little while here, and after the draft is over, maybe this will become front and center. But the reports from everybody, from Adam Schefter on down, is it's what we were saying a couple weeks ago, that it's all about the, the length of years between – Dak's people wanting four at the most. Jerry, Steven, the Cowboys, as per their way of doing business over the last several years, they want five at least. Um, and you can see both sides of that, right? I mean, the, the TV deal that's going to be signed soon uh, will result in a much higher salary cap. And so Dak, in his camp, uh Want to go back out under the market whenever he's still relatively young and the cap is much higher, so he has an opportunity to get us, you know, another deal and maybe even another deal after that, right? I mean, he's he's turns 26 or turns 27 this summer. If he signs a four year deal and plays pretty well, the way that quarterback lifespans have been going, he'll go back out there at 31, maybe again at 36. And at that point, Dan, he might have literally made a billion dollars probably less so likely for him because he's starting late because he was such a you know he's a fourth round pick but in doing the math for a while now uh it doesn't take a whole lot of projection to see Patrick Mahomes making a billion dollars in salary playing in the NFL um <sighs> because his next contract could easily be in the the 300 million range right to 200 and then maybe 3 if he gets four contracts it could get there and so the Cowboys want to lock Dak up so that for as long of a deal as they possibly can, his overall percentage of their cap is as low as possible because as the cap continues to go up, Dak's number is relatively locked in and the percentage will go down. My point has always been that even like I would go to – if I went to Dak and said, um, you know, we'll do five years but we'll go to $40 million. If they're at 35 right now and Dak's people are worried about it being fi- going to five years, okay, that $5 million is going to be chump change by year three of that five-year deal.
2: So would you do like $40 million a year for 10 years?
8: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd probably try to get it at five. I don't know if I would sign that if I were Dak.
2: You're banking that he's going to be at this level, though. I'm banking that he's at least going to... Because are his legs a big, important part of his game, and does that fade?
8: Yes, but a lot of times you see guys get better at other things as that fades, right? You Get better at slowing the game down, at the mental prep part of it, and um, you know they, it's not like they—he's not Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's an effective runner, and they go to it. And maybe I would like them to go to it a little bit more, but he's not a guy that I worry about just falling apart. Look, I'm a Dak convert. When they when they got the guy, I thought it was insane that everybody was goo goo gaga over the guy in the preseason because I'm thinking one. They'll never put him in front of Kellen Moore, <laughs> unless something happens. They would. Then it have. did. Yeah. Uh, two, I just didn't personally didn't see it in college as being a guy that could play in the NFL. But then they sort of catered to his strengths a little bit more. I didn't think he'd ever end up being a backup because I was kind of just playing the odds. But after the full four-year progression, I don't know how you could not you could watch last year of Dex's uh, fourth year in the league and say that outside of that list of like Mahomes. Watson, Lamar Jackson. Who else? Who else is above him in that group of guys that are, you know, in that next that next wave of guys? I'm not talking about Bree. One year I'd probably take Breeze. You know, one year I might take Like not, you wouldn't take Goff? No. But I mean, you, I think Goff is a decent
2: player. You would have before last season. Actually, I think I, I think I have proof that I wouldn't have. Goff had just been to the Super Bowl?
8: Yeah, but it was starting to kind of look like they were having to work around him a little bit. I had Dak below only Mahomes, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And our quarterback's under 30. But if you had asked me the year before that, definitely, I would have said, uh, give me golf." But after four years, what else you need to see? The dude is... He's in that next class of guys that you can win a Super Bowl with if you build around him properly. Yes, that'll be harder when he's making 37. I was going to say than, that than seems 800
2: grand, but that seems to be a big that's not sticking his problem. point here. Well, it kind of is his problem in that I mean Brady is the big example, right, of a guy who's always taken at least a little bit less and they've been able to use that money around him and they've been able to do it effectively because of course they have the best personnel department probably in football. So you have good confidence that they're going to be able to do that. And he won big early, before he had a contract. Um, it's, I
8: I, I know should, you bring that up a lot, and it's, and it's fair, but I don't think it's silly to point out that Tom Brady's wife does make a billion dollars a year, and he did trust his organization because of what they had already shown him. Like, you're asking Dak
2: to do two things that are just not in the cards it's, for it's him. It's not fair to say this, but how much different is – Thirty-five million than thirty. As far as Dak's life, if he signs for four years at one hundred and twenty million versus four years at one hundred and forty million, his life will be the exact same both ways. But it's kind of like a—it's a measuring contest, and it's not fair to put this on players. But it is the way it is. the The thing is set up the way it is, and it and you don't ask lesser players to take less. It's always the top guy. So like, and LeBron has taken top salary his whole way. So I'm saying, you know, you can do it and still win. But, you know, usually if you want to get better players on your team, the top guy takes less. And that helps the team as a whole. And it's, 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 It's unfair that it's put on his shoulders, uh, you know, at least publicly, the perception of that. But that is what it is. Even Russ Wilson, you know, he's been great. And he was a major reason why they won their Super Bowl. Probably the major reason. But they they have not been able to stockpile the talent around him as they were able to before when he was under a... Was he a third-rounder? Third-rounder rookie deal? Yeah. Like... He was certainly a gem, but he's just like Dak. The thing, the difference is, the uh, the people around him were able to figure out how to take advantage of this gold we have, and they actually won a Super Bowl and went to another one while he was under his bad contract, his rookie contract. And uh, Dak, we've been able to assemble what a playoff win, a wild card playoff win. Did Dak Dak's won a game, right? Yeah, they won a playoff game, but that's it. So now the window is closed. The window that they uh, that you know we've been fond of talking about the last five years or so, or since the, you know, since the Sam Bradford uh, draft, it's been you know that with the quarterback salaries kept lower. Uh, your initial salary, you cannot get one of those giant contracts just yet. You got to prove something. They we always talk about that window. You got to do something. You know the Rams were throwing it all at, at that window. Of course they're out of it now too, as far as financially. Philadelphia was, and you might say Wentz didn't win the Super Bowl, but he was under his rookie contract, and so they were able to allocate their resources elsewhere. The Cowboys screwed up their window.
8: You have to keep in mind they did have the Romo money, at least a little bit of it for, what, the first year of that, Um, and they were kind of already over-leveraged a little bit on old contracts. But I think that the – let's – really him and haw about the fact that we can't build a, uh, a competent roster around a guy who's making a ton of money because he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league i think that's letting good be the enemy of perfect like you would definitely prefer the best case scenario is to have a guy who's really good at the most important position in sports and makes no money the second best thing you can have is a guy who does those first two things and makes a ton of money because at the end of the day you have no shot if you don't have effective, if you don't quarterback have a really play. good guy. So the second best thing you can have is a guy who's as plays as well as Dak does, and makes a ton of money. And then figure it out, you know, figure out your drafting from there. Not his problem.
2: So we got an email from a dude who says he's a contributor to the Landry Hat Cowboy Fan Site. It's a blog Cowboy. that I've seen. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm vaguely aware of it for sure. Uh, his name is Brian. And he takes the other uh, side, whereas there was a recent Ringer article by Robert Mays, which is just talking about Dak and how good he is and that his value should not be a debate. Uh, the guy from the Landry hat is taking the other side, saying he's not a franchise quarterback. You don't pay him. That's, um, he He brought up one specific example here, but one of his big things is the the fourth quarter comeback stat that Dad is pretty good. Dak is pretty good with the uh, game-winning drive stat. He's uh, he's calling that flawed, and he's looking at one example of, uh, for instance, in his rookie season, the Cowboys beating the Vikings on the road in Week Thirteen, seventeen to fifteen. Um, Vikings took a nine-seven lead uh, on the next Cowboys drive. Dak moved the offense fifteen yards and then punted. The uh, punt returner fumbled the punt. Dallas recovered at the 8. On the next play, Dak uh, hit Dez for an 8-yard touchdown and the go-ahead score. They would not relinquish. That gives Dak a fourth-quarter comeback on his resume, but it was pretty much that game was won by the defense. And his point is that the Cowboys have a lot of those in Dak's uh, history that you point to a lot of other guys besides Dak. Uh, what do you think of as a now Dak convert uh, do you think this whole article is just silly?
8: Uh, I don't know about silly, but I do think trying to get into really small sample sizes, especially in football games where everything is so interconnected, can get messy fast. Because you say, you'll say, okay, well the defense won that one. Well, what if you went back like two drives before? Was there a play the Dak made at the beginning of the fourth quarter? That put them in a situation to win, and maybe not in that Vikings game in particular. If
2: you're saying it's 9-7 to seven in the fourth. Then. Right,
8: but there certainly there have been times where you're credited with a fourth-quarter uh, comeback or I guess not a game-winning drive, that is what it is. But if it's a fourth-quarter comeback, those are not all created equal. I just think that's searching way too hard for a stat to invalidate what he's done because the stats that I prefer the most are the ones that show that a quarterback is contributing to winning. And ESPN's QBR does a very good job of that because... To reiterate the primer, if you pick up 10 yards on third and 20 when your team is down 14 in the fourth quarter, you get no credit for that. If you pick up 10 yards on third and three in the fourth quarter when the game is tied, you get a lot of credit for it. It's measuring how much the quarterbacks play. So
2: it's better than quarterback rating.
8: It's way better and it's on a zero to a hundred scale and it factors in running. Uh, so
2: Because you could throw for 400 yards and a loss and right. a quarterback rating, and it will go through the roof.
8: Right, okay. and so whether you're picking up first downs, whether you're picking up touchdowns, whether you're doing it at critical times of the game, whether you're avoiding massive negative plays, QBR measures that better. And Dak, I believe, was number two in the league his rookie year, number four in the league last year, top ten year two, and then had a really rough year in 2018, the year that they were uh, without Tyron and, and some other pieces on the offensive line for – Significant amounts of times, of course, we all remember the Claiborne-Falcons game. But let's go beyond that and not be, if you don't want to to, to nerd out analytics-wise, just watch the games. I mean, when you watch the games, to me, the guy seems to be typically in control of their offense. He's not going to blow you away like Patrick Mahomes, but I think he contributes to winning. That's the most basic way I could put it, is that as a quarterback, I think he puts you in a position to win. And the one thing I liked in that Ringer article that they pointed out, The first few games of the year, we got real taken with look at how the Kellen Moore uh, were seeing some different stuff. They were running a little more motion. The play action was a little bit up. But for the whole year, Kellen Moore's impact was, okay, cool. But it wasn't like they completely revamped their offense. Now, this guy that we've complained about kind of keeping them in the last decade uh, for so many years has been replaced by a guy who we all think of as a pretty competent offensive mind. I'd sign up for four or five more years of Dak at a high number if for no other reason to see what he looks like with a very competent head coach. I mean, I think it's really reasonable to think that he gets a little bit better for the next few years. And then you're talking about a guy that you're thinking, I can't believe we ever wondered if we'd bring this guy back. So I'm, I'm all the way in team Dak. Uh, so pay the man his money. All right, it's 250. This is the ticket.
1: Bad Radio Talks, Losing Money on March Madness.
8: Dan, he knows a lot more than
0: the average fan. Pick up the phone and call Bracket Dan. He knows everything about the teams from the East and West, South and Midwest, just as Bracket Dan.
2: Today is April 8th. It's Wednesday, too. Uh, April 8th. Oh, here we go. Today <laughs> go is <ahead>. Wednesday. <laughs> Yeah. I don't I don't mind uh hearing that every now and again people might forget. It's Wednesday, April 8th, uh 2020. 2019, April 8th. This very day, 1 year ago, uh in overtime, the Virginia Cavaliers defeated the Texas Tech Red Raiders 85 to 80, uh to 77. To win the NCAA College Basketball Tournament. Remember that? Yeah, I do. So we've already teamed through what would have been March Madness. Does it make Remember? you feel better or worse? Um, It makes me feel like we've gone quite a ways, and it still seems early. So, you know, we've got some, some days marked off the calendar here. So I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse, but I do remember the we were still in studio when they were like, "We're gonna play games with no fans," and then we're like, you know, just wondering how that would work. And that then, obviously, cancellation after cancellation after cancellation. Well, we would have had the whole tournament by now. the The national championship might be tonight, or I don't even know when it was scheduled for. Was it wouldn't be scheduled for a Wednesday? It's a would Monday, it? it's probably the sixth. So. Anyway, um, you lost money on that game? What is your money-losing story? So, or your potential money, you didn't lose money you had. Just the $20 that
8: I had bet, but, um, you know, it's not like wife is is hardcore about Texas Tech basketball. It's more we're going to watch most of the football games or have them on in the house or have people over. She went to school there. Um, but, you know, if they get into the tournament, we're probably going to be going and watching those games with friends. A lot of our friends went to school there as well. And um, back, I'm trying to think of when it was. I think it might have been late January, early February. Uh, Texas Tech hit a uh, small losing streak. I, mean, I think it might have been right after they lost three in a row at the end of January. But at that point, even after the three losses, they were 15-4. and four. So they had been, they were like, they were 15-1 and in the middle of January, and no one was really, you know, paying all that close of attention to them. They lose three, and I I had some buddies that were like, hey, you know, for fun, this team's going to be undervalued as as a tournament bet. Like, they're actually good. Now, all these people went to Texas Tech, and they're saying, hey, this team is actually good. None of those people were telling me that this year, if you want some level of their objectivity. Like, they know when their team is better than people think it is and when it's not. And last year they're like, This team's pretty good, dude. Like this team could actually beat good teams, and so I thought, Well, let's see what the odds are to win the tournament because
2: this is mid January, you say? Yeah,
8: mid late January, maybe okay. even early February, because um you know, I've checked the odds for whenever March Madness started. So after the conference tournaments, and they were twenty to one odds, meaning, you know, if you bet uh ten you'd win two hundred. Right? Or no, I have that wrong. Someone Whatever. Here. Yeah, um, it's a lot. Twenty. What, yeah, we're so. I think it would be four hundred because I bet twenty dollars mid-January for an eight hundred dollar payout. Okay. Because I knew I'm going to be watching these. So games. the odds were were great. Yeah, definitely. tremendous. Yeah, and they and they and they got worse as the season ended. Uh huh. Because they won. They they didn't win their conference tournament, but they won a couple more games there. They finished, uh, you know, with a a super strong regular season record and. I'm thinking, well, if I'm gonna have to watch these games, I'd like to have a little action on it because I don't really care that much. And it was 20 to win 800, so my payout I guess would have been 820 once the money was already in my account. So you really just lost 20 dollars.
3: Really, I but just in lost your head, 20 dollars. You lost 800,
8: and I lost 800 because it was one of the most heartbreaking bad beats I've ever watched in my life, which was an out of bounds call that immediately made me. Uh, put me in the they should be – they should change the way they do instant replay. It was one of those deals where uh, Moretti has the ball, uh, and and I I think like in the – I'm trying to think of where this play was on the floor, but he's like headed towards the front court. DeAndre Hunter now in the NBA. He goes in, and it's clearly off of Hunter knocking it out of bounds. But when you put it in, super, super, super slow-mo replay – it kind of touches the Tech player's hand last. But it was like the type of play where you would have never, ever, ever watched that play and said, oh, that's off of Tech. Like, you just – it's not the way it looked. Um, but had – they've been able to close it out right there – uh, get a bucket right there. I think it would have put him up 3. The game was okay, in so overtime. Okay, so if
2: you didn't lose 800 like me, you wouldn't remember that play like me. Or if you went to tech, but it was one of those games
8: where it was an awful awful replay call. Um tech was down 2 with just over a minute left. Um I think that might have been in the in the overtime. Yeah. So it it was a play that 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 swung the game and it felt like tech had the thing, you know, just about locked up. And, uh, you know, then they didn't. And it cost me $800, which, uh, no, I definitely hadn't already sold or uh, spent.
2: But So we uh, – Blake had us fill out brackets just to see how good we would do, like, now. How's your bracket doing? Filling out last year's bracket. So you would think we'd have to do awesome. We'd have to be great. Uh, in my mind, filling out the brackets, I knew who was in the finals. And that's about as far as it goes, <laughs> well, you got that part, so um, I'm thinking I did very poorly, so like if this were a an office pool thing, and we didn't look at internet first or anything, so that's the only you know it was all done on uh the honor system, Blake, who won the bad radio twenty twenty brackets, filling out the twenty nineteen brackets like who? Who would have won if we all had put in twenty bucks?
11: So there were three participants. It was you, Jake, and Mino. And Dan, you would have come in last. Hmm. For your final four. Bracket Dan. Bracket Dan comes in third place. Your final four you had. You had Texas Tech and Virginia, which was right, but your other two were (laughs) were wrong. Oh. That uh, penalized you some points. Jake came in second. Damn. Hmm. Mino.
2: How many Final Fours did he get?
11: He got three. Mino got all four right. That's all I felt confident with.
2: But See, well, the old, then that gets you a lot of other games. Though, you know, yeah.
8: You're
11: yeah. Because right you there. right, David Mino.
8: So <laughs> the, I came up barely short again here. I'm 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 losing barely uh, every year. You so. did I get destroyed?
11: You Jake lost by three points.
8: <sighs> you gotta be kidding me, dude.
11: And. Dan, you were in last by 14 points.
2: How did you not honor system fill out your own bracket? Or do you feel like you would have just killed us? Who, me? Yeah.
11: No, I, I didn't do a bracket. That's Why? what I'm saying. Why not? Because I'm the judge. I don't know.
2: Well, no, you, you still could have <laughs> I done That could be impartial
11: if he wins.
2: I'm just saying you could have filled it out in the beginning. He did this in order to make us look bad. That's, well, I guess the, we'll, only, that's yeah. the only reason we're doing this. I guess that's guess we'll of what producing know. is. Blake, I, Blake just set it all up so we'd look stupid, and he's like, oh, no, <laughs> I didn't play. I couldn't play. I only, You could have played. I, I could have tallied it up. The only games
8: I remembered were the Tech games, and I didn't. I wouldn't have even known those outside of probably like— So
2: you at least knew who they played.
8: Yes, but I only knew that because— Then you would know— I could see them in the bracket, right? If you had just blind tested me like Corby did a couple weeks ago, and he was like, hey, who did Tech beat in the Sweet?" Uh, sixteen to move to eight. Yeah, the Zaga. I didn't remember that. But if I see their name on there, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can get that one. Like, did I get uh, anything? New right? Virginia because they <laughs> stole my college fund from me whenever they were up to. And uh, yeah, that one, that one hurt, dude. Because you know, there's nothing better than a good futures bet win. Like betting twenty to win eight hundred. I mean, even if you bet. 20 to win 400, that's pretty great with 20 to 1 odds. But if you bet 20 to win 800 and that bet's not going to come up for two months from now, I don't—I prefer that over betting on betting on games because the labyrinth of stuff that you have to go to to get there and it just keeps building and building. Yeah, but and the like,
2: chances that you even get there are pretty remote.
8: Yeah, but it's more fun than well, just like, oh, let's bet on a game. It,
2: if indeed it goes as far as it did, it was probably fun. But I would guess generally that's flushing your money down the toilet. But like NFL over-unders, I think that's what you should get into betting on. Like, I could see that little nascent little why? Little, why do you baby you Dan. The worst gambler that you've ever met, why do people like Bob is trying to get <laughs> me to actually bet real money on games online? He's like, dude, it's fun. I'm like, D- you know I'm bad. I lose our game every year. Why would you then say, hey, you should start giving your money to Vegas or to this online service? Maybe just you're just
8: bad dumb. at betting games. What if you bet, you know, like, I mean, some of your other futures bets like that brown suit. Yeah, that, oh, that one did, What a jerk. Yeah, he he already
11: <laughs> lost the, the
2: bracket tournament. Now you're going <laughs> to... I know. All right. Well, I'll just have to sit and uh, imagine that Blake would have lost. Um, and, you know, history will prove me right, because
1: I'll write it that way. Bad Radio has a C-word audio bag of fun. Well, there's one word, I believe once upon a time,
8: our uh, former cohort, Greg the Hammer Williams said there's one way to get a woman to hit you i think was was his like maybe you you need that you're trying to So this is the assault. one
2: way to get a woman to love you which he told you he did okay which i
8: don't know that we'll ever no, we be can't. in a situation where i can
2: <laughs> no we'll never say that
8: this is different and it involves you know a different well anyways uh this is what uh what grego would say like this is the ender if you use this one it's over and it's a tough word because it's got uh, a couple consonants that uh, you might use them in different orders. Of time here's Mike for uh, making this mistake. Once upon a time,
6: um, nothing exciting to talk about in that game. Titans over the Buccaneers. They stay in the wild card. Uh, in the wild, uh, wild card, hunt. finally had a good game rushing. He had. I think
8: they dumped that late, but he is trying to say the word hunt. Might the wild
2: card hunt?
6: Okay. Nothing exciting to talk about in that game. Titans over the Buccaneers. They stay in the wild card. Uh, in the wild, uh, wild card. Oh, he
2: went <laughs> wild hard.
8: Yeah. Oh, he did. He did. Now there's a couple of uh, of these that are famous, uh, and we'll work towards the most famous one. But we have a couple new ones as well. Um, Dan, once upon a time, has uh, has made this mistake when trying to say the word
2: uh, comfortable. Uh, the ticket proud to partner with Star Power, giving away VIP ticket. Uh oh. VIP tickets to the Maverick home games. Uh, Comfortable leather seats with a bird's eye view of the action. Listen to uh, Norm and Donnie. Huh? What? Oh, my. Wait, what? (laughs) That's
8: an adjective I have not heard used to describe furniture, Uh, uh, but
3: better enunciate comfortable a little more.
2: What did I say? Uh, uh,
3: uh. (laughs) I think you invented a word that. Might have made did you dump something? Stumble. I didn't touch it.
2: Okay, I don't feel like I did anything wrong.
8: It it does sound like a word that if you were going to just use dirty words, that I kind of want to know how to use it.
2: But like wow, what if you have like portable? If you really like her, It would be. You could, yeah. it's a new word. You have it as a drop, right? Comfortable leather seats.
1: Ooh.
8: Okay. Uh, let's go to another one from Dan. This one's more recent, just a couple of weeks ago. This For is me, to- this is topical, as Dan is uh, is is talking about the COVID.
2: I feel like <laughs> if you had to make up a name in China, <laughs> you would—that's <laughs> right. one you would just make up. So I'm not sure it's real. Uh, go check it ooh, out. Although I should ask Blake. He's the conspiracy theorist on this whole thing. Does Wuhan exist? Probably not. Or is it made up by one? Uh, I am sorry, sir. One what? political party or another. I started to say country, and then, well. Stopped at the worst possible <laughs> syllable. <laughs> it's all Freudian. It's all Freudian. Um, Yikes. So in <laughs> Wuhan, uh, you stop yourself. Or is it made up by one <laughs> uh, hmm?
8: I <laughs>
2: <laughs> made up by one. The word country is not. Man, my fault that that exists as a word. Like, how would you take? Uh-huh. How would you make a dirty word out of the first part of a word that you say all the time? Like country music. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were to think about it, what a weird description of music. <laughs> <laughs>
9: that is
8: an odd genre to be. Man, I just love. I just love country music.
9: It's God, just that's a, gonna be it's, forever ruined for me. How did country 30... music Saturday.
8: Oh Whoever no!
2: <laughs> <laughs> Whoever invented that as. Whoever labeled that as this is a dirty word for this part of the body, and it's so dirty that you can't really even say it in jest, and it's going to turn into the, uh, the mother of all words that you can't say to a woman. But it's also commonly said as the first syllable in many sentences you will say throughout a day.
8: It's a cruel bit of irony, to be sure. But at least in those cases, you were trying to say the word country and comfortable.
2: Stupid country.
8: Sometimes you completely add a syllable or letter.
2: (laughs) Once your mind is going here, yeah, it changes everything. It's
8: very tough. Uh, This comes to us from uh, Fox Business News Channel, or Fox News Business. This is a few weeks ago, and uh, a female uh, anchor has a uh, male uh, guest on, and they're talking about the price of oil and cuts. You could
7: see the beginnings of capitulation right here.
9: One thing that we saw yesterday, which I found fascinating, was we saw a selling of stocks, of bonds, and of oil, uh, commodities, even gold. I mean, that that's something that, that kind of triggered to me. Maybe this is – we are finding that bottom. But it, it really seems now to be up to the Saudis and to Russia to implement production cuts. Uh, cut, cuts uh, sorry, cuts. Pardon me. Are you – think that that was She being, said it twice? You know, <laughs> was-
8: she said it twice, and in between the two times she said it, she said cuts. So she said, seize, cuts, sees a uh, cuts,
9: and to Russia to implement production cuts. Uh, cut, cuts, uh, sorry, cut. You <laughs> think that, that would be, you know, was that something that would happen?"
8: And her follow-up, once she got it together, is, is that you know. Is that something that would happen?
9: She
2: goes
8: <laughs>
1: full Ollie G.
8: Yeah, boy, her mind. Does <laughs> you think
9: to implement production cuts? Uh, cuts uh, sorry, cuts. Pardon me. Are you think that that would be? You know, was that something that would happen?
8: Are you? That would be. Is that something that would happen? Okay, so she was
2: just totally flustered. Yeah, wheels all the Not way. Not a steady off. hand on the helm.
8: And then once upon a time, the legend, Brad Sham. Ah, uh, yes calling a special team's play involving your Dallas Cowboys. Across the 35
7: to the 40, really good return.
8: Uh,
7: oh, this is a good kick by the rookie free agent from Oregon. Back to Kirkus at the 23, up quickly to the 30, left across the 35 to the 40. Really good return, a 56-yard <laughs> uh, uh,
8: punt by Colescu <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Wow>.
8: <laughs> I think it remains my favorite.
2: Fifty-six yards because of
8: the 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 the, the size qualifier,
2: but also been. just the. Uh, 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 I mean,
8: welcome to Minnesota, home of the world's largest. <laughs> it's
2: fifty-six yards.
8: Uh, uh, uh all right, two fifty-seven. You- Go ahead.
2: You know, no, I I, I probably just ruined your tease. I'm sorry. I I was going to ask Blake if he knew the Sam Plesky fun fact. I don't think so. Like, do you know it? I guess not. Have I said it enough? Dan McDowell. Over the years, that no, he looks like the guy in Boogie Nights who was in the truck with Mark Wahlberg at the end with, that was having him uh, pleasure himself in front of him for money, but then he ended up beating up Mark, Mark Wahlberg for being gay.
1: Bad Radio Talks with Graham Bessinger.
2: On the buyer's barricade
8: hotline, the man that uh, we played some audio from his recent interview with Tony Romo last week, he is the host of In-Depth with Graham Bensinger, and he is Graham Bensinger. Graham, hello, sir.
5: Hello, guys. Dan Jake. Thanks for having me on.
8: You bet, man. Yeah, so I've I've seen your show before, um, but we had really probably never brought it to the air until you sat down with Tony Romo uh, in an interview that aired and uh, made the rounds uh, last week. So then we start looking at your Wikipedia page, and we're thinking, well, this guy's got a pretty interesting story. Were you doing sports talk radio in high school?
5: Uh, Pretty much. I mean, I used to be one of these kids who, born and raised in St. Louis, still live in St. Louis now, and then we just kind of travel all over for these tapings. But I used to be one of these kids who'd run down to the ballpark in middle school waiting for players to get their autographs. And I realized after a while it wasn't autographs I liked getting, but just meeting the players, hearing their stories. And so I got this idea for an internet sports radio show when I was in eighth grade, and i would just uh you know go around trying to book people go into the library look up home addresses for hall of fame baseball players and then i started getting a few calls and slowly developed through there and continued through high school
2: so the 8th grade thing was like the hook like hey i'm a i'm an 8th grader will you will you will you uh join me on my radio show and they'd say yeah
5: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was definitely getting uh, guests at the time that were uh, disproportionate to the wattage of the radio show that I was uh, hosting. So I I remember uh, the first four interviews I had were uh, baseball Hall of Famer Ernie Banks, uh, then Bob Feller, and then Tim McCarver and Will Clark, who had just guided the Cardinals to a, a playoff run. And they would just call my parents' house my mom or dad would answer and yell back to me and say, you know, Ernie Banks is on the phone and <laughs> it kind of developed from, from there. And then uh, midway through high school, got on a local radio show early station in St. Louis where I was hosting a weekly show. Uh, then senior year of high school, I actually started uh, buying time and then going out and getting local advertisers in St. Louis to fund it and then started freelancing for, Uh, ESPN.com from there because I was getting access to athletes that they were interested in and uh, just kind of slowly progressed.
2: So as a senior in high school, you were hitting the pavement getting sponsors.
5: I was, right. Um, I, uh, you know, realized if I wanted to get on the air, then uh, I had to figure out a, a way to uh, do it. So I uh, remember I had, uh, like, an a- a- athletic uh, company sponsoring the show. I had a-, a signage company, a dry cleaning company, and, uh, you know, so on. And that kind of um, helped in, you-, you know, funding it early on.
2: Dude, I love your story. It's uh, one of hustle, one of drive, one of uh, you 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 didn't. It's kind of like I love the Bill Simmons story, just the, uh, hey, I didn't want to sit around and wait 15 years to become a columnist and work my way up. I just did my own thing and, you know, created his own column online. And then, you know, the big boys noticed him, I guess, just like you. Right. Would you consider that to be a compliment to say you're somewhat like the Bill Simmons story?
5: Um, sure. And I mean, obviously, he's had way more success than uh, me at this stage. But, um, you know, I recognize that if you're going on talent alone, um, I had admittedly limited ability at best. But I thought the one thing that I had going for me is, you know, if I put in just hours uh, around the clock and can figure out a, a business model that gives me the opportunity to do what I want, then perhaps that's my entree into, uh, you know, sports journalism. So even fast forward to present day, uh, we're in season 10 of, of the show in depth. And if people are interested in the interviews, we have a, a YouTube channel, just, you know, Graham Bensinger, and then it airs on NBC five uh, Sunday nights. they uh, in Dallas after Newey's uh, sports show. Um, but in 2009, uh, this would have been my senior year of college. I'd left school early because I was getting good media opportunities. Um, I was working for NBC sports at the time. I did the financial crisis. I get laid off and I'm thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, you know, I, I am a college dropout now out of a job. My friends are just starting to graduate, you know, what am I going to do? And so I thought, let's see if I can figure out how to create this on my own. So I I just traveled the country, personally syndicating the show myself, signing on an NBC, Fox, CBS, or ABC station uh, in markets around the U.S., signed on the the sponsors myself. Uh, We now produce it in-house, so I employ the uh, folks that Edit, produce, uh, you know, syndicate, and handle ad sales for the show. Um, but it was all audacity. Um, you know, we have a really small team still, um, but that's been how we've been able to grow it. You know, keep costs low, find a, a strong group of people. We actually uh, just hired away uh, uh, the, the local Fox Dallas producer, uh, Brad uh, Galbraith, who. Um, I, I think one knows one of you guys uh, to, to join our team. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's fun. It's part of the far and away the most satisfying work I've ever had the opportunity to do because you're involved with every facet of building something, and it's certainly been a great learning experience.
2: This is Graham Benzinger, uh, in-depth with Graham Benzinger. It's not just on Channel 5. Well, at least on my DirecTV, I just did a quick search, and you're on all the, you know, a lot of replays of your show is on the various sports channels or Fox Sports uh, Ohio and stuff like that. Um, a couple of other analogies that I would have for what you've done, I think. One would be, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Judd Apatow's, what he did as a kid. I think it's Judd Apatow. Uh, like, so he did
5: early interviews with comedians, right? Like, he Yeah. Taped, I'm trying to remember. We actually taped an episode with him uh a, a couple of years ago um but i don't know if that's where you're going yeah yeah that. but i remember like early on he was uh getting big time interviews with uh notable comedians when he was still like very much a kid
2: yeah if you uh search the mark maron podcast he had him on and he brought a bunch of his tapes and uh many years ago but you know they're all saved somewhere um but he, you know, he created a fake radio station, kind of like you did, but yours was more real, uh, your internet radio station. Um, but he did like I did when I was a kid. If I wanted to go to a Cleveland Indians game, I would create fake letterhead, and uh, you know, when I was like early in college, create fake letterhead uh, asking for a press pass from my my radio station that I didn't really work at. Um, and I guess he did that same kind of thing, and he booked Letterman, Jay Leno, like huge names, huge yeah. names right um and he he played those tapes recently or somewhat recently for Mark Marin my other analogy would be at least for what I thought in my brain uh gave me Graham Bensiger's on my map it has to do with uh Terrell Owens and I say my analogy would be in my mind I first became really conscious of Jim Rome when he did the Jim Rome Jim Everett bit <laughs> you know that sure. Uh, and that is, just happens to be today is that anniversary. Uh, 1994 is the day that Jim Rome, uh, uh, April 6, 1994, the day that Jim Rome went at Jim Everett, or vice versa. I'm just going to play a clip from you with Terrell Owens, and I want to hear if this changed your life. Uh, so this is Graham Benzinger with Terrell Owens. This is back when T.O. played for the Eagles before he was ever a cowboy. But these comments kind of got him in hot water.
5: So how surprised were you then when the Eagles just made no public acknowledgement of it? You
8: know, they, they claimed to be first class and, um, you know, the best organization. Uh,
0: I just felt like it was, it was an embarrassment. You know, like I said, it just showed the lack of class that they had.
5: Your friend, Michael Irvin, recently said that if Brett Favre was the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, they'd be undefeated right now. What do you think of that comment?
10: I mean, that's a good assessment. I would agree with that.
5: <laughs> Pretty hardcore. Um, yeah, I, I mean, first you can tell that I literally sound like a child there. It was November of my freshman year of college. Uh, how how I got that access, and at the time, he was arguably the best player in the NFL. Uh, oh, it yeah. It was year two of his time with the Eagles, had stopped talking to people in the media because of the fractured relationship with the team. I used to have him on my high school radio show because I met him at a celebrity basketball game where I pitched to him doing an interview with me. So I had an existing relationship um, in Syracuse where I was going to school was a four hour drive from Philadelphia. So I drove to an Eagles game, uh, had a press credential and talked to him in the locker room afterwards, pitching him doing this hour long TV interview. Uh, he agreed to do it and, uh, it was for ESPN and, uh, yeah, made comments that, or I guess our really changed the course of both of our careers because for me, uh, that was the holy you know what moment where my world kind of upended, started creating a lot of other professional opportunities for me, you know, was on the tonight show shortly thereafter, had an expanded role with ESPN after that. Had a national radio show after that, and and on and on. Um, and you know, for him, it was the the end of his time with the the Philadelphia Eagles. But uh, interestingly enough, and not to ramble too much, it, it was actually what provided me, in part, the incentive to create this show where editorial control over our content and it's a half hour each week where we can profile somebody for the full episode because in that interview we sat down for an hour and talked about everything from his grandmother having Alzheimer's to racism he's encountered growing up to the controversial topics Um, but those were only a few minutes of an hour-long interview and I certainly understand from the news entities perspective when there's limited time you need to air the most newsworthy content but then I also understood from TO's perspective He's thinking to himself, he got a raw deal uh, in the interview because only the most controversial comments aired. So I think I was lucky that I recognized that if I wanted the opportunity to continue to get that sort of access to top talent, then I needed to make sure I was putting them in a situation where I could fairly tell their stories. And so that was what started providing the early incentive for that. And then when I got laid off, it's like, all right, well, now's as good of a time as ever to figure this out. So was he pissed at you, T.O.? Uh, you know, I don't think he was happy at, at the time. Um, he actually he did a chapter on me in his book. Um, we have since had him on uh, our, our show in depth and, you know, everything's good. Um, but, you know, I, I, I apologize to him um, in that taping for our current show because I felt like looking back on it, while he made those comments that got him suspended from the team for the rest of the season, I was the one that, even even if unknowingly, I was the one that put him in in a situation where his comments were aired without context that inevitably made them seem even more severe than they already were. So um i think we're good now but certainly the the relationship was strained at the time
8: it's graham bensinger of in-depth with graham bensinger uh with us here on the ticket i wonder what you like when you project out the next let's say 20 years of your career uh if we're all fortunate enough to have careers that long would it be weird for you like let's say that something like sports center uh or a big time show offered you like an anchor position is that something that at this point you would prefer not to go? Like that's what most people think of as the dream, but since you've got this experience doing it your own way in full editorial control, would you ever be interested in kind of sliding over into a role like that, or if if you've kind of found the the nirvana of media?
5: Uh, well, I mean, that's certainly not what would interest me in terms of a, a role like that. Um, you know, I, I think while, you know, I, I don't really like to be good at anything, at least the one area where I've been able to slowly develop skills on, on the interview front. So I certainly want to stick with that. Um, you know, our, our show currently we do like a million and a half broadcast television viewers a week. We're averaging two and a half million uh, digital views a, a week. So the audience size of the shows slowly growing. And I, I think really long-term would be, just having the opportunity to continue building this show, I think we've created the nice foundation for a show, but it's still really in its infancy relative to where, you know, we want it to be, Um, you know, while we're, you know, lucky to, you know, sit down with the likes of, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers or Steph Curry. We also on occasion uh, over the course of a season, we'll, feature people with a looser connection to sports. So we did, you know, a week in the Bahamas with Sir Richard Branson taping one. We were in uh, Hong Kong for two days with Arnold Schwarzenegger. We did two days in Monaco with, um, you know, Prince Albert uh, taping an episode. So I I think long-term as we look down the line would love to be in a position where we can continue to get improving access to top talent, grow the audience size of the show, perhaps expand the subject matter in terms of uh, who we profile. And, you know, I think a goal of ours also would be to just have the content more often break through the the, the clutter so uh, people are, are talking uh, about it more. So certainly have a long way to go, but, um, you know, having fun.
2: Uh, small Small follow-up to something you just said. Does Prince Albert know what his name means in, in slang? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> you dropped the ball on that one, Graham. <laughs> next, next time. Um, yeah, no.
5: Uh, um, actually, that, that one was a pretty cool experience. We you know sat down for a couple hours at uh, the, the palace. Um, then he gives me a tour of the palace. Uh, then he takes me uh, around Monaco in uh, his uh, electric vehicle, um, showing me the town, the Formula One racetrack there. And then we go out on a yacht with him. And, you know, in some of these situations, to go back to what you were saying about, you know, the fake press credential or what I, I was saying earlier about interviewing people by high school radio show that were disproportionate to its wattage. Um, you just kind of pinch yourself when you're in some of these situations. You just feel like you have no business uh, having the opportunity to spend that amount of time with uh, that sort of talent because, you know, we'll spend, I don't know, half a day or a day through parts of a few days with some of these people we, we tape. So, you know, feel very lucky and I'm kind of very conscious of
2: that piece of it. Very cool. Uh, it says here, Mike Tyson got mad at you and uh, walked out. That mm-hmm. must be scary. Why, do, why would he get mad yeah. at you, such a sweet little guy like yourself? Yeah, right. Just, uh, well, uh... so
5: we, we put probably 100 hours of research into each interview preceding the sit-down between myself, the uh, couple producers, a part-time researcher, and this was going to be the, the, the debut episode of one of our earlier seasons, and I was talking to his wife beforehand. And she's like, you know, at minimum Mike will give you an hour and a half, but it's going if it's going well, he could spend all day with you. And of course, in my head, I'm like, I'm gonna make sure this goes well so we get that kind of access. And like halfway through the interview, I ask him about famed trainer Teddy Atlas holding a gun to his head when he was fifteen years old. Significant, but seemingly insignificant relative to everything Tyson's been through in his life and Uh, Leading into the interview, I was told I could ask him about whatever I want. And you could just tell instantly in his eyes that rubbed him the wrong way. And I have actually goosebumps now telling this story, just remembering the look on his face. And his response to every subsequent question I asked him was, I don't know. So finally, I'm like, all right, Mike, is the interview over? And he's like, yes, uh, thank you, shakes my hand and gets up and walks out back behind his house where he breeds uh, pigeons that he uh, races. And so we have to pack up. I am personally devastated because I was expecting this to be this amazing day. And here I'm getting kicked out of Tyson's house, basically. And, and so the, the crew were you know, there with four or five people on our team are packing up all this television equipment. And before we leave, I asked his assistant if I could at least go out back behind Tyson's house and thank him for letting us come. And he said yes. And that thank you actually turned into a two or three hour conversation. Just me and Mike out back behind his house without cameras. And he ends up inviting us back the next day. And we spend you a know, half day with him taping the episode and actually ended up winning uh, an Emmy for it. And it was one of the best experiences ever. And what I realized was this is a guy who's just been burned by so many people in the media. And that conversation we had, the two of us off camera, I think at least allowed him to gain a little bit of of trust that um, caused him to drop a bit his... Justified guard that he uh, w- would otherwise have, and uh, yeah, Mike is has always been so nice to me, and uh, that was—I mean—once in a lifetime type I- I- experience.
2: Dude, that's amazing! That's really <laughs> awesome. Uh, looking at all that you've done, and we kind of kind of got to wrap this up, you know, time, commercials, all that. But uh, <laughs> we—it's we, funny because we. You know, really watched the Romo one pretty in depth and replayed a lot of the audio last week. But uh, it seems like with all you've done, Romo might have been the most boring interview you've ever had. Uh, <laughs> we thought it was really good, no. but uh, R- go R- Romo
5: is Romo is great. I was harassing him for years trying to get his tape. I actually met him uh, right after he came into the league and uh, at a, actually, interestingly enough, another celebrity golf tournament. And this before he really. Got famous where he was, you know, going on stage, uh, singing karaoke after having, uh, you know, to whatever the whoever was in the crowd. after he would had a couple of cocktails, and you know, before he really got uh, famous. And so we did uh, taping back in 2011 uh, when he was, you know, starter for the Cowboys. And I thought now, given everything that's changed in his life between, you know kids and broadcasting job and retiring from the league. It was kind of an appropriate time to update it, but as you guys know, he just doesn't do a lot of media, and so it kind of took a couple of years of working him or just being a pain in the you-know-what before he, I think, finally said, screw it. <laughs> at least Cramble stop emailing me and harassing me at uh, golf tournaments. So uh, that that was what led to it happening, and I think for really no other reason than uh, he was just sick of me bugging him.
2: <laughs> yeah, you did a good job. You did the best you could, despite he's like I don't uh, I don't do hypotheticals. Well, come on, dude, we're <laughs> we're just sitting here, uh, answer the question. But uh, he stonewalled you a couple times, but I thought it was good stuff.
5: And he's you know he's so nice. He's one of these guys that regardless who comes up to him on the the street, has a smile on his face, will at least briefly engage with anybody. Um, I, I think, if anything, the reason he was stonewalling me and some of the other questions not contract-specific related mm-hmm. um, was that, you know, he was just ready to get out on the golf course because uh, he, we were making him a little late to his tee time, so... Um, I got it and we uh, <laughs> tried to wrap up quickly and get, get onto the golf course with him
8: Well Graham we appreciate your time today if you could give us maybe one more thing before we let you go that would be our wacky radio liner where you simply identify yourself and say I never listen to bad radio on the ticket
5: Hey I'm Graham Bensinger and I never listen to bad radio on the ticket
8: Thank you sir appreciate your time
2: Thanks man Thanks for having me,
5: guys. It's Graham Bensinger of
1: In-Depth with
8: Graham Bensinger.
1: Finally, Bad Radio has a ticket Tuesday. Quincy Carter on the hard line. All right, a bunch of cowboys
8: in some form or fashion in the back half of the show today. We'll do a couple. Just updating where we are on deck. Three. Good, bad. Three. We shall see.
2: Guitar Hero 3, Blake. A lot of Guitar Hero support for Mino. Is
8: this what you guys are bonding over back there?
2: This is Blake's
11: (laughs) trick. You can play a song from any Guitar Hero game. He can tell you which one it's from. You claimed Iguana video, so i got to find my own.
8: (laughs) Uh, They're Komodo dragons. Sorry. But before we get to DAC talk and how insane it is that this still hasn't really progressed, it's Ticket Tuesday time. Now, a couple of weeks ago, right at the start of the teen. Dan made a phone call on the air to a former Cowboy great who had accidentally posted his phone number on Twitter. He was trying to get in contact, this former Cowboy player, with Dion Sanders Jr. <laughs> Not real sure why, but he posted that phone number, and we called him, and I'll be danged if Quincy Carter didn't answer and give us a few minutes of his time. He referenced a previous appearance on the ticket at the time, which I vaguely remember hearing about, but I'd never heard. So let's start with uh, Quincy telling us uh, a little apology. But
6: listen, let's go back. I, I want to go back to this because I'm, I'm having a moment here, and that's why I kind of laugh. Because do you remember when I actually called the ticket one time? And yes. I just, like, exactly, I just absolutely <laughs> lost it. First of all, I want to apologize. Of course, you know that I was alcohol-induced, and so I will go ahead and admit that. But, um... Yeah, I want to apologize, that's not indicative of who I really am. Uh, I was upset about the whole procedures.
2: So then I was like, I said yes to him, but I kind of remembered it, but I didn't really remember it. Thankfully, the Unticket remembers it, and they had the audio.
8: Yeah, I couldn't remember if we were somehow mixing up the Galloway story, if he he had called someone else. You kind of looked at me at the time and
2: said, "Because Randy Galloway, I don't think it there was, was us. yeah, there was some kind of a Randy Galloway thing." He bailed him out of jail, uh, right? But, yeah, so I knew there was some kind of connection there, right? And I thought maybe he's confused. And yeah, sometimes the sports guys, or if you're not really a ticket listener, you think, "Oh, I heard a sports radio station. That's the ticket," you know? Right. Um. So, but we did find out he was on the hard line. What year was this? Uh, well, what year was he
8: let go? Okay, so it was, it was right after. It, it had to have been right after that, uh, two thousand four, because there was an Ed Werder report. Um, you know, maybe in the few months after that. About him having failed a test for uh, cocaine, how he'd gone to treatment for bipolar disorder, possibly treatment for other substance abuse, and that report, I believe, was the impetus of this call that he made to the station. Uh, he had, you know, this is within a few months, I believe, of him being released. I think now, this he, is a, I
11: think it was the year after because he's talking about his yeah. time with the Jets in the interview.
2: Okay, so it's a twenty-three minute call. He called the line, and they talked to him for twenty-three minutes. So let me jump to a couple of very key points, though, to which he may be apologizing for today. <laughs> um, we could play the whole thing, but, uh, you know, we're just so busy here in quarantine, we just don't have the time. So let us uh, let me just p- jump to a couple of uh, key parts. Uh, as Quincy Carter called into the hard line many years ago.
6: Uh, let's be straight to the point. The cocaine and the bipolar uh you know, allegations about me were totally uh, have been totally false. Uh, no one has proven that uh, that I've ever uh, failed a test for cocaine. The NFL, uh, the Cowboys. No
2: one will ever be able to prove that. Have you ever done uh, cocaine? No, I haven't. Um, now that's a that's a very straightforward answer. But his starting with "no one has proven I've ever done cocaine" <laughs> is not a good defense of "I've never done cocaine." But he did—he did say I've never d- used it.
6: Well, I thought you was gonna let me make my statement. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, see that—that's why you know I wish I could do this on TV, but I will—you know—be able to do that too. But uh, no one has ever proven I've been on cocaine before. Um, and this—this uh, this alligator. Well, Chris Mortensen coming on TV right before okay. the Super Bowl. I mean, he picked the perfect time to say that, but uh just like my perfect time right now. But uh him saying Chris Mortenson saying I'm bipolar, well, where are those records at? Where are those uh allegations coming from? I don't know but they're not true and um and also just I mean, let's be honest, we're talking about a guy here and I, I hate to be play agent for myself and I'm really not, but uh we're talking about a guy who's never got in trouble uh any legal matters. Uh I've always been a big advocate of uh reaching out, talking to kids, doing various things in the church community which I still am. and uh to, to have all this placed on me. Yes I've had I've have contributed to this. I and I will admit that I it's something that must have been wrong on my part, so I will admit that part, but I mean let's you know, let's put an end to I'm such a bad person. That's not true. Everybody knows it's not true. So if we're going to, you know, tell a story, let's tell the right story.
2: Okay, they start asking him some things like, why did he get released from the Cowboys? And, and he's kind of being evasive here and there on this and that. And, uh, you know, it was it was kind of going all over the place. And then it begins to get heated with this point I'm going to fast-forward to now. as uh, Like I said, he's he's been evasive here and there on these different questions. And uh, Mike and Greg, they were the hardline hosts uh, back in the day. Before uh, there were Bob and Corby kids, there were Mike and Greg. And um, so that tells you how long ago this was. Uh, Grego is a part of this. Uh, and Grego, I think, shines here, but here is uh, – we, we fast forward a bit after Quincy is not answering this, not answering that, and uh, we'll pick it up here.
0: Um, one of the things that we heard about you, though, is that you had been in rehab while you were here. Is that true?
6: Well, see, the reason why I won't get in today, and, I, and I'm telling you. Well, then why are you
10: calling us, and what do you want to say if you can't get into anything? Oh, let me ask you a question. This is very simple, Quincy. Okay. If a if a, if a, NFL team called you today and wanted you to sign. You could you play for that team or would you have to sit out four games? Well, see, no, I can't no, no. Tell there's not think. no no. Listen, there's no well. See, that's a direct question that needs a direct answer. Could you play this weekend or would you have to sit out four games because you're in the drug program?
6: Well, well, see, the problem is, is that I understand what you're saying. Let's, you know, I think your voice is kind of raising a little bit, but I understand what you're saying, but. The problem is, see, I can't mention anything about a drug program. You know, I, I don't know anything about a drug, just like no, the you don't no, you know can... anything about uh, the drug program, and I got released. Because of my play? Well, why are we even talking about the drug program? Don't the league hand out suspensions? No, you can you can talk no,
0: about no, it. No, Nobody can talk about it. Right, let Don't me ask you this. the league hands out suspensions, Quincy, but while you were here, there were rumors that just circled around you. And that's what I'm doing. I'm, okay, I, I, once I'm again, let me, I, hold, on, right All right, hold on, that's Quincy. Hold on, Quincy.
10: I'm going to ask you another simple question that just a nice, Yes or no answer, okay? You ever smoked marijuana while you were playing with the Dallas Cowboys? Listen.
6: Let, 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 let once me again, do
10: I that. don't know why we're talking to you because you're not going to give us anything. You're not let, saying let. one thing Yes or no. Did you smoke pot while you were wearing the Dallas Cowboys? See, see, one thing. I'm done with you. I'm done with Uh, you, man. I've had it with you. Answer the question or not? It's a simple question. Answer it. You wanted to come on our air where we have a lot of listeners. We're giving you that opportunity, and you won't answer any questions. Did you smoke pot while you were playing with the Cowboys? Well, see, well,
6: well, see, I'm done with you. I can't even answer the question without you just cutting me off.
10: No, because it's a simple question. All it needs is a yes or no
0: answer. Let him okay,
6: go well, for a can, second. Well, well, can I answer the question without you interrupting me? Can I answer the go question? Go
0: ahead. Go ahead and say what, whatever you have to say.
6: Okay. And, and what I have to say is a true statement, but, um, and you may disregard it if you want to, and that's fine. I, you know, I don't mind. But I, I've never got an opportunity to say anything. And when the truth gets ready to come out, you see how people act because you know the truth. But anyway, I answer your question. Um, I
10: don't know the truth. I That's why I asked
6: you the question. I can't technically say I'm not running for president. See, so I can't technically say what I've done in the past because you know. Why a, not? They're saying what they've done in the past? No, they're saying they released me because of my pay. So that's why I said people have problems. They go through things, which I have. I've grown. And that's all I want to do. And see, when I decide to say something, you really don't want to get the truth out because you want some bad stuff in it. And that's not the point we're talking about right now. No, so I no. Want hey, good stuff, me, bad stuff. All we want it. is the truth. Just give me to- the truth. Excuse me, I don't want you to persuade. That's what I want to tell people, the truth, and I don't want you to keep telling them a lot. And, and that's what I'm trying to make a, a point of right now is that you're, into, you're trying to dig so far deep in the... It's, it's, no, I'm not. I'm
10: trying to... This... I've
6: done anything wrong, and I've told you, yes, I have contributed to this issue. Was so yes. uh, everything done the right way? No, I'm sorry, it wasn't. And that's what I'm going to answer. Now, if you can't accept my answer then you know, the NFL did not suspend me for four games. Okay, the Cowboys released me because of my quote unquote play. So why are we even talking about marijuana? All right, so because,
0: didn't because the, because the, you when the Cowboys us- released you, didn't they say. That it was for non-football. Did, did the NFL say I was suspended for four games? You know, what, I'm not talking wanna... about the NFL. I'm talking about okay, what the Cowboys the said. NFL no, no, no. I was suspended. For didn't four the Cowboys games? say that it was for non-football personal reasons?
6: Well, see, one thing I want to do—I'm going to be professional about this and not argue about this because it feels like an argument and not an interview. No, it's an argument
10: but, because you won't answer the question. Because I ask you if if, if if a team signed you that needed a quarterback, could you play? Because I heard rumors, and it's only a rumor, and you're the only guy that can confirm it. I heard rumors that you're in the program right now and you're, you, you owe the NFL a four-game suspension.
6: Is that true? Okay, let me tell you this. I'm smart enough not to even get involved in those issues because publicly those issues have not even been handled. So why would I be ahead of something? That I don't even know what's going on, first of all. Well, for, so for, one, thing, something.
0: for one thing, for one thing that, 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 th- that appears to be the major issue that's preventing you from getting back into the league, Quincy.
6: Okay, well, well let me give you an answer so we can go on to the next question because we'll start right now. I don't know. So you, the you answer know, is
0: not yes, not no, but you don't know. You don't know if you're in the program or not. Well, you
6: asked me about marijuana. Yeah. Um, or or any, any illegal drug. Well, to me, honestly, I, I don't really, you know, see where we're going with this in order. Well,
11: look, I. look, Quincy, you said that you contributed. My, my, you... Point, my,
6: my point to you right now is that I've never been diagnosed with bipolar, and I've never uh, been proved the test for cocaine. You know, so that's my point
0: right. right now. Have you ever been in rehab? Well, see, I've told you I've had issues, and I've, okay. That's I... a yes. Okay, have you yes, all right. yes. Have Just... you ever had those issues treated?
6: Well, can, can I can I answer your question? Yes, please? you can. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. It's it's not that you know. Well, and I'll just go ahead and make this short. What I said before: people have problems. It's like when you're sick, you know, and, and you have to go to the doctor. Well, you take care of your issues. But has my issues been cocaine? Or bad? No, and that's the point I'm trying to make. To all right,
0: what have they been then?
6: Well. I was going to sit down and do that on TV, but I just want to let everybody know <laughs> allegations against me have not been true.
10: Well, i got to tell you, you're not doing a very good job of clearing yourself.
6: As far as what? <laughs> as, as far
10: as answering the questions. I, mean, I we're can ask answer a question. Duke, why not? Well, all, right, have, all right. Can we?
8: To his slight defense Cocaine there. is a hell of a drug. I do think he's trying to get at the, when he says, I can't answer that, that if you're in the program. You don't often hear guys talk about that stuff, so that begs the question of why even call. And as he yeah. said, he didn't mean to; probably didn't mean to do it. He was impaired and, and was just acting irrationally. But I do understand what he means when he says, "I can't say," I really can't. Now, again, don't be on the phone, but that is the athlete, vintage hardline right there. The
2: fallen from grace athlete too is the. Uh... Like, they don't get it when people start then following up on your BS. Yeah, because it's always worked. Right. You can always say, hey, I'm here just to say this. And then, you know, in college for sure, because it's mostly college kids, are. oh, yes, sir, yeah, you know, and even later you're shielded by your media guy with the team. Now he is guy without a team. He's on his own and uh, the hard line smells the blood in the water. I was going to say, yeah, he just walked
8: into a, a lion's going,
2: Yeah, they're going after him uh, to make him answer questions, whereas before, if he's got his PR guy, oh, he's not going to answer any more questions, and he walks away, or, you know, he's, he's always been sheltered, and, and many, you know, great athletes who are good enough to end up being a quarterback in the NFL have never had to face, you know, follow-up when they give you a BS answer. See if Tom Brady has ever really answered a question about Deflategate or, you know, or, or he's, you know, whoever it is, a lot of these guys. So, yeah, I, I that's probably I feel bad for to him. give you the gist of how that thing went down.
8: I feel pretty bad for him, and I'm glad that he's that he's cleaned it up. Just hearing that stretch of his life and him kind of getting bludgeoned by Grego. But also, doesn't it sound kind of funny, even though that was only 15 years ago? Obviously, if you're doing cocaine uh, in your professional situation like that, that's going to come. That's going to come up, and it's a problem. But it is kind of weird that Grego seemed that hard up about have you smoked pot as a member of the Cowboys when we all know now that that's a half the league conservatively yeah, type thing. But, but
2: even then. That was what the start of us talking about how many people are actually doing that. Yeah, no. And I'm not faulting Greg. I'm saying it's no, we weird were how, thinking how fast it, was, it happened. No, but we were thinking it was half the league, that, when, as we're pontificating about that on the tennis courts uh, the days to follow. Okay. Uh, but we were saying the quarterback is a different animal. You know, you will certainly not release a guy because he failed a pot test. You're a wide receiver, cornerback, lineman, name any other position, they would not institute an immediate release. But the quarterback, you need to have his S together. And it was the Parcells era, and he didn't take any S. So it was thought that he was released immediately. We were even wondering, is that even legal? You can't release someone for chemical dependency. Right. And certainly in the NFLPA... Uh, you couldn't do that. You had to uh, allow help, but there was no help offered. There was no, you can go into the drug program and then keep being a member of the Dallas Cowboys. It was, I can't have my quarterback being this guy who is failing drug tests, which, you know, you know when they're coming and all that kind of stuff. It just means you got to clean out a month before.
1: Well, P1s, that's all for the podcast this week. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Open up your
6: morning light Say a little prayer for I know that if we are to stay alive And see the peace
2: in every eye Do what,
6: what, 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 what Do what, 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 what Do what, 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 what Do what, 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 what What, what,
2: She had two babies, one was six months, one was three. In the War of 44, that's right, every telephone rang, every heartbeat sting, and when she thought it was God calling her. Oh, would her son grow up to know his father.
6: To be over, I want to know right now what will it be, I don't want to wait for her lives to be over, Rhymes? will it be yes or will it be, maybe, what, 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 wood